get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman featuring Dan McLaughlin. Great to have you with us at 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle is here. Dan is here. I'm going to check the weather quickly. I will tell you guys that, uh, no, first of all, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Hi, Randy. It can't really only be three degrees, can it? Yes. Oh, I don't know. It's my. pretty cold out there this it's morning. Bad yeah, okay, well, At least we Very don't need cold. a helicopter report this morning. Oh, we don't? No, because the roads are perfect. Everything's fine. Oh. So I usually uh, wake up for this show at 5.30, get up, and then I take, take a shower, and I'm downstairs by 5.47 or so. Wow. I get down this morning, and uh, my bride... Joan gets up at five every morning to make me a little omelet, and normally there's some some peanut butter toast with it. I come down this morning, and there is a carrot cake muffin, and she sings happy half birthday to me. Isn't oh, that nice? That. That's adorable. Yeah. You chose well, Randy. Yeah. You chose well. So they, they, she and Katie stayed up last night to make carrot cake muffins. And, Isn't uh, that sweet? That's very nice. I thought it was great. That is so sweet. And I sweet. had no idea that it was my half birthday. And I there's was... a balloon and everything. Happy half birthday, Randy. Thanks, yeah. And we missed yours. I know. That I knew. That I knew. You know, half birthdays do not give get enough love. No, uh-uh. But mine is the day before Valentine's Day, so no one cares about my half birthday. Yeah, we do. We just missed it. That's all. What are you, Nine? Half birthdays. Half birthdays rock and roll. No. Both of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to leave that unless you're under the age of 13. <laughs> but that's very nice. What if, what if it's adorable. emotionally you are under the age of 13? Well, then you count. All right. That works. <laughs> that's you. And if you get carrot cake muffins out of the deal. That's true. I mean, you got to yeah. take it what you can, you know? That's right. 65780 is our air comfort service text line throughout the course of the morning. You know, you can always leave us a mic drop. I have up on my Instagram where I'm, try, where I'm trying to get more followers than my dog, Darby <laughs> Shaw. Uh, this morning, we've got four extraordinarily stylish gentlemen joining us. Jay Delsing, Joey Vitale, always dressed yeah, to the nines. big time. John Mosellock, oh. always dressed to the nines. And Greg Amsinger, who is always dressed to the nines and has the best hair in the industry. Uh, Dan McLaughlin. When you're on camera, man, you, yeah. uh, you make it go. When I'm not? <laughs> when you're not, you're kind of like me. I'll tell you a little secret. Back in the day, when I was at Lindenwood, I did multiple internships. I interned at KMOX Radio, and I interned shipped uh, with Zipper Zeppa at Channel 2. I was the first intern that Zip ever had when he was in St. I didn't Louis. know that. I was. The reason, kids, that I chose, there were two reasons that I chose radio over television. And I know everybody told me, hey, there's a lot more money in TV. A, I wanted to be able to kind of talk. Rather, at that time, we didn't really have a lot of cable. We didn't have a lot of 
uh, long form television. So you had three, four minute sportscasts a day. That wasn't for me. Secondarily, maybe firstarily, I don't like wearing ties. I'm not a fan of it, uh, but I, you know, kind of the rules of the job. You got a guy you in Arizona get fired because he wanted to wear the golf shirt. Yes, though. he didn't. He wanted to wear the tie, yes. and they wanted him to wear the golf shirt. Correct. Wow. <laughs> yes, there was a uh, baseball guy baseball. dispute over wardrobe. Okay, and uh, he felt that no, you need to wear a coat and tie to be presentable for the games. Sure. And they were like, well, you know, you can just wear these golf shirts. And he, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> so he lost a very well-paying job over that. I think that was part of Oh, okay. There oh, was, was other things, say. too, but I, I I know that was a major thing. That's insane. The, the Diamondbacks play-by-play guy. Wow. Yeah. Yes. I think I would just wear what they preferred. I think yeah, they're signing the checks. Throw me a shirt, whatever. You, and you give me the chance? Yeah, of course. I have a rotation of... No, five, six black sweatpants that I wear day, uh, and I just rotate them. That's what I do every day. Dan and I are into the Nike yeah. sweatpants. I'm wearing black black yeah, yoga pants today. Yeah. Dan, I have a wardrobe question for you. Yeah, sure. So you've been doing this a long time, so I imagine you've been collecting a lot of blazers and ties yes. and things over the year, years. Is it um, something where every year you go out and you add something no. new to the rotation? Well, it depends if, if I've lost 100 or gained 100. <laughs> so uh, that's what I do. I, just, I go from, I got the one side of the wardrobe that, okay, that's the fat clothes, medium clothes, and then there's the really skinny clothes. That's what I do. So sometimes they're new anyway. Yeah. yeah it's just you haven't seen them in a while. So, wow, he went out and really did this wardrobe thing. I'm like, nah, I just lost a bunch of weight. Or I just decided to put a bunch on. You know. One, one time. I'm a little up and down with that. Oh, we all are. Uh, and this is, we had so many career highlights, Dan and Randy did. But the one time. We did. It's past tense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one time Jack Buck calls, and this is pre-cell phone, I think. So he calls my home phone. He says, come on over to my house. And I said, okay, sure. <laughs> and I get to his house, and on his kitchen table, he's got like a thousand ties. He said, I've got all these ties. I'm never going to wear them. Pick about 10 out. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack gave me about 10 of his ties. Did he really? Yeah. There's a place that in uh, Pittsburgh, right across from where we stay, and that's, I love that place. It's uh, Heinz uh, Clothier or something like that. And I saw that... Uh, and I follow him on Twitter, and I'm getting ready, watching the Super Bowl, and they said that both Tony Romo and Jim Nance went there to wow. get their Super Bowl attire. Oh, so, wow. man, do I feel better about myself. That's a good commercial. Oh, I just feel so good about myself. Now. Our, our St. Louis Blues with high drama last night as they beat the Sharks in overtime 3-2. Blues couldn't get much generated offensively. They had a really good first period, not much in the second period. Just really couldn't get to Martin Jones until the final minute of the third with the sixth attacker on the ice. Hard in behind the net to Shen. Went short side. Burns was there the whole way. Clears it off the glass. Kept in by Krug. Krug over to Falk now. Down to 43 seconds to go. Perron slap pass to Hoffman. Rebound. They score! Braden Shin ties the game. 39.2 seconds to go in regulation. And Joe, it happened just as you called it. 2-2 two to two the score. We're tied. You guys, Tori Krug. As Curbs mentioned, keeping the puck in and then making the pass to Perron. That was a, a beautiful pass, Perron to Hoffman, and then the rebound tipped in by Schenner. It's the eighth straight one-goal game for the Blues, minus the empty netters. It's like every game yep. is tight. Jordan Bennington was great, I thought, again, 30-32. He's now 8-3-2. and two. If you're looking at the schedule, by the way, 
this is an important stretch of hockey for the Blues. I don't know. It seems like this year we're not following the schedule to a T when you play the uh, Coyote seven times in a row. But it is <laughs> if if there's no COVID hits, um, the next eight games you get the Sharks, the Ducks, the Kings. This is a chance to separate yourself a little bit. And we'll touch on that in just a moment because there's another reason that I think it's important. But here's the reason they won by one goal. Here's Perron to Krug. Met at the blue line. He gets it somehow to David Perron. Score! Bring out the Zamboni! David Perron! Scores the game winner in overtime. A power play goal. The Blues win 3-2. And David Perron finishes the game with a goal and two assists. DP57 had a night tonight, Joe. And the Blues get two big points on home ice. And you heard Kerb say Krug somehow got it to Perron. Yeah. He found an opening. And those two man advantage goals, that's why you got Tory Krug. And wh- why did you win last night? Because he played his type of hockey. Played offensive. Yep. And that's what he does. I-, I think he's actually had a solid year. Do you guys I- agree? Really good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I-, I think he's been great. Um, Third in the league in plus minus. He's been, yeah. he's been fine defensively. And without the minutes that uh, you were hoping to get from Pareko, quality minutes mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. And he didn't play last night for people that didn't know. Um, he's got to step up, and I thought he played a great game last night. He's been good all year. The Blue special teams last night looked good, too. You get the, plow- the power play goals, the PK looked good. But more importantly, I think we need to acknowledge David Perron coming on our show now for a weekly hit. It's... And then French Toast with a huge game last night. Character and Smallman Factor. We can make the connection. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Yeah. We're good luck, John. Okay. People don't know that, I- I'm with you. I'm all about it. What what day does he appear every Every it's going to float. Every it's going to float, depending float. on the schedule. Yeah, day, yeah. So Off I might day. be able to ask him a question, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's exciting. David Perron, why are the Blues having such recent success on the power play? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. We changed our setup from the other times uh, today, and uh, we were able to to find a seam play and big rebound goal by Schenner there. Um, I don't know. Like, it's... Um, again, like I said to Panger after the game, uh, the little touch pass there by Kruger, just a simple D to D touches it to me, no dust, uh, just just really quick, and it gives me kind of that lane I think on underneath their uh, winger that he doesn't have time to recover, and then from there we make another play and then we score. So it doesn't always going to happen that way, but uh, those are all little plays. I think guys are moving the puck quick, and um, I mean tonight obviously it kind of is like uh, I guess three power play goals, so that's nice. Can never hurt to have the power play going. Now, as you, Dan mentioned, no Pareko last night and the schedule. And I had asked Jeremy Rutherford, yes, Rutherford yesterday if this might be a good time with the upcoming schedule to set him down and see if you can get him right. And JR said, with this injury, I don't know. And we still don't know what the injury is. But I wonder, guys, if that's what they're thinking of is, okay, we've got a schedule where we can win games without Colton Pareko for the foreseeable future. Maybe and you're at home, days. too. You're yeah. right. So maybe the best thing for him and for them is to play these games without Pareko. San Jose is six and seven. Anaheim is six and eight, and the Kings are six and six. So this is kind of a little soft portion of the schedule. Then you got two with Vegas, and then after that you go back to the California team. So I, I think this is the time. This is an important time. It takes you to about March, if our memory serves correct, about March twenty second, March twenty fourth. 
So this this important stretch of games maybe separates you inside the division. And we're not 100% sure what's ailing Colton Pareko, but I do know that moving forward, the Blues aren't going to be able to have a lot of success if their guys don't get healthy. Right. And yep. if this is the time that you have on the schedule that you think you can sit him down and maybe he can recover a little bit, then go ahead and do it because you're going to need him when it matters. And tomorrow, the pregame at 5, the early start at 6 here on 101 ESPN. I, I mean, like the earlier starts, by the way. I, I am a big fan yeah. of the earlier yeah, starts. Uh, I am too. The long national nightmare is over. Carson Wentz out of Philadelphia. He makes his way to Indianapolis yesterday for a 2021 third round and a conditional second rounder next year that will be a first rounder if he plays in 75% of the Indianapolis plays. ESPN's Dan Orlovsky played the position and uh, you, you can love him or hate him, but he's got an opinion on Wentz. When it's right, he's a top six or seven player in the NFL. You know, I think the, the reality for this move when it comes to the Colts is it places that I think there's four teams as we sit here today that are top of the AFC conference. Kansas City, obviously. Buffalo, obviously. Cleveland, and this puts Indy in that top four. Number two, I would put Carson Wentz into the MVP conversation. I believe in him and Indianapolis that much. And then three, I'd say this. This 2021 Colts team is going to look a heck of a lot like that 2017 Philadelphia Eagles team. You're talking about a top five offensive line and run game. That's what he had in Philly. Philly didn't have a star in 2017. They had like four or five really good pieces around them. That's what Indy has, top 10 defense. I think that this is a absolute home run for the Colts and something that the Eagles will absolutely regret two or three years from now. And one of the things that I think you have to keep in mind here is that Indy didn't have to give up a first-rounder. Anthony Costanzo had played left tackle pretty much every game for them for a decade, and he retired. T.Y. Hilton is an unrestricted free agent. So they're going to have to get themselves a left tackle. They're going to have to get themselves a receiver. And by the way, their tackle may come from their guard position. But they've got some needs that they have to fill, and the fact that they didn't have to give up a number one this year is huge because it'll allow them to be really good if Wentz can get back to the form that he displayed in 2017 with the Colts. This seems like a great situation for Carson Wentz. He gets out of Philly like he wanted. He's reunited with Frank Reich. He's on a team that's a contender. It seems like if you're Carson Wentz waking up this morning, you should be pretty happy. Now, if you're the Eagles, I don't know, because Howie Roseman and the Eagles front office allegedly wanted a Matt Stafford-type haul for Carson Wentz. We knew that that wasn't realistic. But when you look at, at what they're getting this pick could end up being a first round pick and if Carson ends up being what Dan Orlovsky just described they'll likely get the first round pick but when you think about everything that they put into Carson Wentz five draft picks to acquire him back in 2016 not that long ago they gave him a 128 million dollar contract about two years ago and now they're taking a cap hit over 33 million dollars to just get out of this contract I don't like it for I mean, Indy I, I, I no I, I think he uh if I was, because of what you just said, with everything I've invested in him, I gotta, I gotta see this thing out one more year, and then I get, I get rid of him. And then you only get two picks back. Yeah, for that? That, that's I don't, I don't know. For Indy, I think it's great. I mean, pretty good offensive line. He's got some weapons. They run the ball, which is what he needs. Didn't have that in Philly. It's a different story now. They had multiple games this year where they only had three or four offensive starters exactly. in Philly. There was a game against Baltimore, pretty good defense that Baltimore has. They were missing all but one of their offensive linemen. 80% of their starting offensive linemen were out. The other starters, aside from Wentz, were Travis Kelsey, or Jason Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and Miles Sanders that are running back. They didn't have a starting receiver in the group. They were missing 
he threw TD passes, by the way, against Baltimore that to that guy, Travis Fulgham, and somebody named that Krum. guy. Yeah. Uh, no Deshaun Jackson, no Alshon Jeffrey, no Jalen Rager, no Dallas Goddard. Uh, their left tackle, Dillard, their right tackle, Johnson, their left guard, Siamalo, their right tackle, uh, Jason Peters, were all out of the game, and he put up 20, 28 on the Ravens. So he... he he can will a t- he willed the team to the playoffs in 2018 or 2019. He he can play. It's just they think like a lot of people think that it's just a quarterback game, like it's golf or tennis now. That you win or lose based on how your quarterback performs, and it doesn't matter what the surrounding cast is. But there were times where he did not look that great. I know that all those circumstances yeah. that you just lined out are absolutely working against yeah. him. It was a very tough situation. But then if you read things coming out of Philadelphia, it's not necessarily just the injuries and just all of oh, the it had to be on, other things, yeah. field stuff that led them to want to move on from him. Because if it was just as simple as, well, we need to get some people healthy and put some some successful players around him, then you would not want to take that cap hit. You would want to hang on to him. By the way, when's the last time, if, if it's ever happened, where you had a one and a two traded this In, quickly? From the same year, yeah. five years later. Yeah. Often wins. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, you got a one or a two. Those are franchise players. Those are cornerstones. They, they stay forever, usually. And that's the impatience of the NFL now. Yeah. They expect quarterbacks to be great and stay great. Or is it the... Oh, excessive hype about quarterbacks. We want yeah. them to be that great. <laughs> right. Coming up, we've got Peak or Pit here on Carriker Smallman and McLaughlin on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Here on 101 ESPN, we want to get your peaks or pits. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, mine's pretty easy this week. My pit was that final loss to the Arizona Coyotes by the Blues. Mm. Disappointing. But my peak was simple. Pitchers and catchers report. You just stole mine. Now what am I supposed to do? No, that's not what I had, but that's a really good one. What am I supposed to do now? You can have the same one. Oh, all right. My peak is... Yeah, return of baseball. That's it. Uh, I'm still thinking about my pit. That well, means you had a good week. I was going to say. Very good week. Great week. Despite the weather, too, Dan. Absolutely. You know, the weather doesn't bother me anymore. Well, I, actually, yesterday it hit 21, and I felt like it, I could have worn shorts. Balmy. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. It was great. Guys, my peak was that our guy, David Perron, not only joined us for the first time and what is going to be many weekly hits. Randy, I think you said until the end of time. Yeah. Until the end of time that he's going to be forevermore, right? Uh, But then he gets the game-winning goal in overtime last night. Our guy does it. That's definitely a peak for me. And then a pit was on Monday. We're here doing the show. As soon as the show wraps is when the snow starts really coming down. So I thought, you know what? Right now is a good time to go get some groceries because people probably already did this over the weekend. So I'm going to go when it's quiet. So I, I was right. I get the groceries. And I don't know if you guys do this, but when you check out and they say, we can fit this in one bag. Do you want me to fit this in one bag? I'm always like, yeah, do it in one bag. I don't want to have to carry more than one bag. So I get it to the car, get it home. It's in one of the paper bags. It's heavy. I'm carrying it by the handles. The handles break. Mm. The groceries go everywhere, all in the snow. That's tough. Oh, no. Terrible, terrible situation. I'd say go plastic. It's like Kevin McAllister. It was. It was full Kevin McAllister, except it broke off the handles, not from the bottom. Oh, man. I do have a a pit. Okay. Uh, Mizzou hoops right now. 
the losses that are starting to accumulate for Mizzou Hoops. They've got a huge game this weekend. They got South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slew's got a big game. I mean, if, if Mizzou loses this weekend, where are we with the NCAA tournament? We're talking bubble team, right? It's going to be close. Yeah. I mean, at one point they were, what, number 10 in the country. And now all of a sudden you're talking about trying to get into the NCAA tournament. Ouch. That's my pit. All right. We're going to get to your texts, and Emily's going to get to them. I want to hit this first one, though, uh, from the 636. Peak, I live outside STL and found a local store that sells Provel cheese. Pit, my car got stuck in my driveway. I want to reference that peak, and it's awesome that you found a store that sells Provel cheese. But if you go to emospizza.com and go to the ship a pizza tab, they will ship you Provel cheese. If you want to make a homemade Emos pizza, Emos will ship you their self-made. Emos makes their own cheese, and they'll ship you their own Provel cheese. There you go. Hot tip right here. Right. right. I have an honest question. Yeah. And maybe I'm just an idiot. Hmm? Don't answer that. I live outside St. Louis and found a local store, okay, that sells Provel cheese. Great. Doesn't everybody sell Provel cheese? No, it's a St. Louis thing. It's a St. Louis thing, It's only a St. Louis thing. It's only a St. Louis thing. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. The square beyond compare. Okay. I, I'm it's learning a, something every day on this show. It is a special St. Louis hybrid cheese. Okay. It's I didn't know I didn't know that. It's, yeah. It's provolone really? and what else? Here we go. Hang well, on. If you go to the store too, they have the the Emo's Provel cheese that you can just buy in the in the little mm-hmm. you know plastic thing that has shredded cheese. So I just figured that anywhere you go, they someone's gonna have Provel cheese. No, it is particularly a St. Louis thing. It's a combination of cheddar, Swiss, and provolone. It has a low melting point. Therefore, it has a gooey and almost buttery texture. Interesting. At room temperature. Okay. Thank you, Emos. Yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's get to Emily. What do you have for us? From the 314 Peak, listening to the Jack Buck stories this morning. Pit, winter, hate the cold. Yeah. This has been a particularly bad stretch here, too. It's stupid. Historically bad. Yeah. For the month of February here in our great city of St. Louis. But, hey, there's going to be sunshine coming around the corner. We're lollipops? about 40 days. Yeah, lollipops. There's 40 days, I think, until opening day. It'll be nice and beautiful on opening day. So don't worry about it. All right? Just get through it. That's what we have to do, Randy. I'll, Michelle. I'll get through it. We will. Okay. From the 618 peak, Gorman taking reps at second base. Pit, all the snow I had to shovel this week. I'm really interested in what Gorman can do at second base. Me too. I'm fascinated by it. Um, I'll, I'll also be curious if they ask him to maybe take some fly balls. Mm-hmm. You know, why not go? If if Tommy Edmond, let's just sit, play this thing out. If Tommy Edmond is the second baseman of now and in the future, he's not, and Nolan Gorman's not playing third. He's not going to first. He's not going to play short. Why not take some fly balls in the outfield too and see if he can't just make that adjustment? 100% agree. Don't you love the idea of Jose Okendo yes. yeah. being with this organization still and working with him at second base? It's a great point. Nolan Gorman had to call to get special permission to come early, too, because of COVID. Uh-huh. And he called the club and said, you know, I, if you're going to make me do this change, which is fine, I get it. But, you know, I can I come down and work with Jose and Stubby Clapp? Stubby uh, Clapp doesn't get enough um, I, I don't think praise. He's good. For the infielders. He does a really good job. From the 618, Randy, this is for you. Peak, it's going to be 56 next week. Yes. Pit, we still won't be able to golf. Yeah, it's going to be pretty miserable. There's going to be, that's going to be one where you. Very hit, soggy. Yeah, I hit a decent drive and it's going to plug a half inch into the ground. Well, you just Patrick Reed it, man. 
Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you just pick it up and move it. A little foot wedge doesn't hurt anybody. I just don't like squishy ground while I'm playing golf. I, I agree. And the problem is, too, when you play squishy golf, which sometimes you play in the summer and it, it uh-huh. rains, yep. you know, like and you, you, they say, oh, yeah, you can go back out there. But the plush fairways, you sink into them. So then it sinks into your shoe and then your sock. Right. Yeah. It's not, and oh, then, yeah. but if it's good. 50 degrees, then you're going to you're going to be cold, man. Yeah. Not I good. worry about you, Randy. Don't worry I, about I don't, me. I, I'm worried about you. Uh, Dan, I got a walking bag for Christmas that I have not used yet, obviously. Is it remote? No, it's, you need to get one of those babies. Yeah, that's that, pretty good. Maybe that'll be next. Okay. So, but yeah, I'm I'm going to walk courses this year. A little good. Bit. That's what I, I play when I play. I walk. My condition. I love it. Yeah. I'd rather walk than ride a cart. Uh, at this point, I'd rather ride a cart. But okay. I think that's going to change for me. <laughs> I get it. We're going to talk more golf with Jay Delsing. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Golf with Jay Delsing next with Carriker Smallman and McLaughlin on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Dan, and Randy, we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our buddy Jay Delsing, Golf with Jay Delsing, is coming up on Sunday morning here on 101 ESPN. You can hear his show from 9 to 10 Sunday. Uh, Jay, good morning. How you doing? Great, Randy. What's going on this morning? Hey, I want to start with this because on the course, and I, I watched you play golf for a lot of your career, you were always very stylish. You always had great golf gear. And when you did TV, very, very strong. This morning, our other guests are Joey Vitale, John Mozalock, Greg Amzinger. How do you believe that your clothing and style tastes stack up to those three? Wow. Um, you know, Mo's a bow tie guy, so I'm not a tie guy at all. That's why I tried to play golf so I wouldn't have to wear a tie. <laughs> you know, good idea. So, yeah. Uh, so Mo's way ahead of me. Man, I'm not. I'm not familiar with Joey Vitale, but I've I've seen a lot of the NHL guys as they travel, and man, they get GQ'd out. I think I'm probably at the at the end of this list. I don't know about Greg. Um, I know he's got. You know, a, a hell of a quaff uh, of hair, but yeah. I don't know how he how he dresses, and he's on the MLB Network. I think I'm at the tail end of this list, guys. I'm sure. telling you, if we put this group of five together and include me, if you're four, I'm five. So uh, I'm at the homeless section, Randy. <laughs> I don't think so. But we're comfortable. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm in North County. I mean, you know, the fact that I that I don't have to wear a tie is kind of like a badge of honor for me. It probably, it probably shouldn't be, but it is. Jay, I want to talk to you about Jordan Spieth. He's back, but not all the way back. But you have to think that the way that he's been playing is a confidence builder for him, and that we'll continue to see him build upon what we saw at Pebble Beach. Oh, 100%, Michelle. I mean, it was great to see him shoot that 61 in the third round at Phoenix, and uh, man, he holds a hell of a lot of putts. And you got to remember how hard it is to win on the PGA Tour, you guys. Here's a guy, he's got a two shot lead going into Sunday, playing Pebble Beach, shoots a 70, and finishes third. He doesn't even finish second. And so Jordan needed 66. And, you know, people are saying Jordan choked, he didn't win. It's a bunch of crap. Daniel Berger manned up. What a shot he hit on 18 which is so hard, you guys. That shot is so intimidating. And he finishes off with an eagle. I mean, he won the tournament. Jordan Spieth did not lose the event. Well, this weekend we got the big boys back, though, don't we, Jay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, it's it's on it. It's on at Riviera, and uh, what one of my favorite courses. The the event is just just terrific, and um, yeah, I, I got to tell you guys, we're watching Dustin Johnson do some some pretty dominating things, and um, whenever he's in the field, I think right now he's the man to beat. Hey, Jay, as you get to this time of year as a pro golfer, how much of what you're doing is preparing for Augusta? Here we are less than two months away from the Masters. So you get to late February. How much are you thinking about that first weekend in April? Oh, my gosh. I, it's, it's, it's one of the highlights of my, my whole golfing career. You know, I, I had always wanted to play. It's the only event I never did get to play in. But just now for what I do, I mean – it's it's almost like you know they've moved the players championship back to march and so it is a great event but it's still not a major and augusta is kind of like you know to me it's like the pinnacle time in my sports life because it signals like okay cool the first majors on the spring training danny max on tv every single night with the cardinals and i just love that and then the blues are in the playoffs i mean how does it get any better than that it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't. Jay, I wanted to ask you about the PGA announcing that they're going to allow these distant me- distance measuring devices and their three major championships. They say that they're hoping to improve the flow of play, but it seems like a lot of people involved in golf don't like this decision. You know what, Michelle, we've got a bunch of um, folks that are caught up in tradition as opposed to not wanting to let go of some of these ideas. I think it's it's well overdue. I mean, it's all it's going to do is tell you what the yardage is, and it's going to save time. All every single caddy in the field already knows the yardage. It's just going to take him time to walk it off a sprinkler head and and do a little quick math, and then give it to his player. It's it's long overdue. I think the PGA Tour is going to adopt it soon, and the USGA and RNA will probably be the last ones to the party. It's interesting, Jay, as sports have, have slowly returned, uh, the fans are slowly returning. I think there's about 2,000 guys last night at Enterprise, something like that. But, you know, we're talking about how we're going to see opening day around Major League Baseball. And, and I'm curious, what, what, are the, what, what are the people at the Masters doing? Are, are they going to have a wait and see in terms of, you know, where we are as a country with COVID? Or have they been steadfast in saying, all right, we're only going to have X amount of tickets available for the general public? Yeah, that's what it is, Danny, your latter statement. They they just have not, re- they, they have not released the exact numbers. But my my company has been, uh, activated down there for years. And the companies that I, that I work with uh, and do some entertaining with, um, one of them just got completely shut out. I think last year they had about 40 tickets. They got zero this year. So they're not going to wait. Another, so they're not going to wait is what you're saying. They're saying, hey, No, they're not. They've, okay. Right. They've dictated it already, and people are kind of, you know, they were kind of hoping. Yeah, Augusta is such a unique place. They do whatever they want, and they always have. And so you're, you're really just kind of left to, to, to be up to their hmm. uh, decisions, and then we just kind of kind of go. Jay, you mentioned your company, and people might be wondering, well, what, what's Jay's company do? So tell us about uh, Jay Delson Golf and what you do. I used to, I wonder what I do too, Randy, because I don't do anything anymore <laughs> with the COVID thing. But um, I do corporate, I do corporate entertainment and, os- and hospitality, and so I set up golf programs and take people on golf trips and do uh, um, uh, also golf award things, just anything to do with uh, their corporations and golf and and to get access to certain places and, and uh, anything golf related to run charity events, just anything like that is, 
is what I used to do. I hope to be able to do that again soon. And you've got the radio show that uh, happens here Sunday mornings on 101 ESPN. Who do we have coming up on Sunday? This I, I know this question this week, which All is right. great because yes. you really stumped me last week. Um, <laughs> it's 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 Ryan Dempster who um, who used to pitch for the Cubs and uh, really a, just a great guy. But can I mention real quickly the Ascension folks? Yes, you know we we added they added Hale Irwin, Billy Andre, and uh, Tom Lehman to their ambassador staff, which unfortunately Jay Williamson and I are, are already on there. But if you look in the Business Journal this week, Nick Ragone just was in Danny uh, is part of our team here. Um, the C- C- was, uh, there was the C-Suite Awards for Nick Ragone. C-Suite Awards. And, you know, David Farr got it with Emerson, too. So this golf tournament, you guys, it is going to be the, the only place to be in September here in St. Louis, September 6th through 12th, is the Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson. And it is going to be unbelievable. And if anybody doesn't, they're not aware Danny, of what kind of people and what kind of organization this Ascension, these Ascension folks are, please look them up because they, they just fly under the radar in our community, but they do so many great things for, they, they give away, you know, care and they're the second largest hospital organization in the country. And they're right here local and hardly anybody knows about them. But Nick Ragone and his team is changing all of that with uh, this title sponsorship of this event. The first time I ever stood next to a PGA Tour golfer and watched him hit a drive was Tom Lehman. And the ball took off and I couldn't see it anymore. And I realized, wow, this is something that I'll never be able to do. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was out at, uh, at Lake St. Louis. And uh, those three guys, man, you talk about three guys. That could, obviously, we all know about Hale, but Tom Lehman and Billy Andrade, uh, all of them could really play. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they beat the hell out of me for years, and and um, and, and I, I still haven't forgiven them for that. But it, yeah, they're 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 great. And you know what's really neat about what people will really appreciate about this tournament at Norwood is that it's a more relaxed setting than the PGA Tour. You know, you're not going to get anywhere close to JT and Dustin Johnson if you're going to go out to an event. You can come up and talk to these guys, and they're going to. They're going to, uh, most of them will welcome it and, and, uh, and, you know, ask you how you're doing, what's going on. It, it, it's a much more relaxed environment, but you're going to see some damn good golf. I thought one of the coolest things that I've been privileged to, to do a lot of neat things in sports, but this last fall, the Ascension Charity Classic still put on uh, basically for, and Jay, you were there, it was for some of the golfers, main sponsors, but for the people that raise money. And even though the golf tournament got canceled, and this is, I think, what you need to, to we all need to realize if you're a listener, go to the Ascension Charity Classic and see the money that they're pouring into North St. Louis. And they still did the check presentations out there. And what was so cool about that, we had Hale Irwin, Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, all on Zoom. And these guys, it was a private setting. I got goosebumps thinking about it if you love golf. And no one was recording it. So these guys are going back and forth on each other. And I'm sitting there watching that. And I got to monitor, uh, be the moderator for some of it. And it was awesome. And it, But again, just make sure that you understand what's going back into North County thanks to Ascension. It's been great. You know, Danny, it was interesting. I, I'm like, I, I've been doing this for over 30 years. And I've never had an event. You know, so, so as people don't know, half the monies that are raised typically stay local for charities once, you know, the, the tournament comes and goes. But 
the tournament got canceled because of COVID, I'd never heard of an organization, a host organization like Ascension, uh, donating money. So I called Jacksonville and they said, yeah, nope. We, I don't think we've ever heard of this before either. And so that's the kind of people they are. They didn't raise money. They got into their own pockets and made these donations to the to the charities that they believe in uh, before the event even happened. Yeah, Nick Ragone has done an unbelievable job of making sure that those charities are taken care of, whether or not there was a tournament. So Nick Ragone at Ascension, and those folks need to be recognized, and let's support that tournament coming up in uh, late September, summer. 6 to 12th yep, yeah. of, of September. Jay, always good to talk to you. We'll be tuned in with Ryan Dempster on Sunday morning. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be fun, you guys. He he tells some great stories about what it's like to come in and play, you know, in front of the best fans in baseball. And uh, uh, it, it's it's I don't know how a Cub man got on the got on the my show, but it, it's pretty good. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jay. Thank Have a good guys. weekend. That's Jay Delsing with us as he is every Friday on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. We've got Tioli coming your way. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Greg Amsinger coming up in 10 minutes here on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Kids, uh, the Character family was out looking for new cookware over the weekend. Okay. Uh, got some. It's, I think, going to be delivered today. But one thing that I became aware of that I hadn't been aware of previously is that Steph Curry's wife, Aisha Curry, mm-hmm. has a cookware line out. Oh, yeah. Take it or leave it because of Steph and Aisha, you would buy their cookware because her name is on it. I'm going to leave it. Even though I know she has a cookbook and she knows what she's doing in the kitchen, I am a devotee of the Barefoot Contessa. I am brand loyal to Ina Garten. Okay. See, the other, what I was thinking was, and we didn't go this direction either, but I was thinking Rachel Ray and I was wondering to myself, okay, why do I like Rachel Ray stuff better than Aisha Curry stuff? But I didn't wind up getting either of those. I went with the George Foreman grill back in the day. Yep. Yeah. We all have our he, celebrity chefs. chefs he, that we he sold me that. I would watch him. I would just stare at the screen and watch that. And I was like, wow, George Foreman. Hmm. Who was it? Did, yeah, who turned one. that down? Right. Yeah. Everybody had a George Foreman grill. I love the George you Foreman grill. Are still using that? No. We have one at home. advanced. Do you? You still have yep. one? I, I never use it, but it gets used all the time. Does it really? Yep. I think- I, George Foreman sold me. The, yeah. the best George Foreman grill moment is when Michael Scott accidentally George Foreman grills his foot <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> on Hulk, the office. Right. Hulk Hogan turned down his name being on the George Foreman grill. That's I wouldn't have bought a Wait, Hulk Hogan grill. You're me, you mean to tell me George Foreman didn't invent the grill? No. He just put his name on it for branding purposes? It's Not true. many people do that, Michelle. It's, it's really, wow. you know, athletes, they are thinking at all hours about how to... Uh, make themselves their own grills and then sell it. They just don't put their name on it. You know what? I'm never going to trust happen. again. I yeah. can't believe this. Doesn't as, happen. As of 2019, George Foreman had made $550 million because of his invention Did of the really? George Foreman grill. That's awesome. Pretty good. Good for George yeah. Foreman. Everybody he's got a lot of kids, too, one. doesn't he? Yeah. Like, so and getting, they're all named George. Yeah. And they got to feed them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy for him. Do you think if you're George Foreman and you come up with the George Foreman grill or you put your name on it, that that's the gift you give everyone all the time? 100%. Every, Absolutely. Every Christmas, yep. Secret Santa, Especially, you get the, the George well, Foreman Well, you don't have grill. to pay for it either. You that's just right. call the company and go, look, send me 30 grills. I got I got a lot of people I got to take care <laughs> right. of. 
That's what you do. His garage is just filled with them. That's he right. Gives them out to That's people. That's right. I, I always would. say, like during the baseball season, Michelle, if I could give somebody, and I bet we get some text messages about this. So that let's say the Cubs are coming in town, and we're in normal times, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a big weekend series. You know, it's a beautiful day. It's like June in St. Louis, right? And it's the Cubs and the Cardinals. I've always said, if I could get somebody tickets. It would be better than giving them a thousand dollars. It would. You're right. I'm serious. You know, you're absolutely right. I, I would say to them, I, okay, here's four tickets. You're going to be in the lower bowl, and uh, you want to come up to the booth for a little bit, check that out. You know, it's kind of it'd be a kind of a fun experience for you. Or I'll give you a thousand dollars. What would you like? Like, oh, give me the tickets for sure. Yeah. Yep. Can't put Always. a price on that. The tickets are unbelievable. But and the experience of it all. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Okay, well, speaking of Cardinal baseball, I have one for you guys. So our gain of Nolan Arenado is the Rockies' loss, and Colorado certainly feeling it. Well, they were interviewing different players about the loss of Nolan Arenado, and Kyle Freeland had this interesting comment. He says, we haven't even played a spring training game, and people are already counting us out. It's a great opportunity for us to shock the world. Take it or leave it. They will not shock the world. I'll take that. Oh, I, I think I'll go out on a limb and take that. <laughs> yeah, when you're in the division with the Padres and and uh, the Dodgers, and yeah. the, the next question they're all going to be asked about, or at least it's going to hover over their season, as he's still there is Trevor's story. Right. And now you see what happened yesterday with Fernando Tatis Jr. getting $340 million. So did they have any chance of bringing Trevor's story back? Uh, no. The Rockies' worst record in franchise history was 64 and 98 back in 2012. You think they get there? You think it's that bad this year? I thought Fangraphs or Pakoda had them at like 59 or yeah. 60. P- and Pakoda usually, has them at 60. Yeah, you can usually go like six up, six down from that. So they're, clo- they're going to be, be close. <laughs> yeah. going to be close. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 636, take it or leave it. Jordan Bennington is the best goalie in the Honda West Division. Uh, I think uh, off the top of my head, yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to take that. Randall, he's 8-3-2 and two right now, and he's a reason why you're you're having success. He looks great. The only real competition would come from Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas. He's better than John Gibson. He is better than Jonathan Quick at this stage of Quick's career. Yeah. He's better than Martin Jones. He's better than uh, either of the guys that are in Colorado. So uh, I would take that, yeah. I'm going to take it. I'm taking it for sure. Do you think that uh, he will be able to pilot the Blues to first place in the Honda West? I don't. I see what you're doing there. And I don't know. Uh, response, hang on. Stand by. <laughs> well, he's going to uh, do it of his own accord. I was just, it's his civic duty. There you go. I, I got it now. You know what? He's been on quite the odyssey <laughs> in his career. <laughs> Ford F-150 doesn't fit, does it? No, no, I didn't think so. You know what? At least he doesn't need a passport to get where he's going. (laughs) Oh, Michelle. (laughs) Yay. From the 618, take it or leave it. At this time next year, the Battle Hawks will be 2-0. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Because they will be back and they will be good. I'm going to leave it. Why? You think they'll be 1-1? I I have no idea why I'm leaving it, but I'm going leaving it. Just because to be a contrarian to you two. Okay. I, I, look, Maybe not everything know. is lollipops and smiles and balloons, okay? Lollipops and rainbows. There you go. There we go. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals still need a left-handed bat. Missed out on Nomar Mazzara. Yeah. Uh, leave it. I don't, 
I don't think Nomar Mazzara starts in the Cardinal outfield. He's After that rookie year, he's kind of fallen off a tad. Need a left-handed bat potentially on your bench. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your text to the oh, This is Randy's way of saying let's go. 65780, because we've got Greg Amsinger oh, coming up okay. on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, and it is 8.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB Network joins us. And, Greg, i got to start with this, because in this hour, you're joining us. Blues analyst Joey Vitale is joining us, and John Mozalak is joining us at the back end of the hour. Three extraordinarily stylish gentlemen that are going to be on <laughs> in this hour. Wow. Well, you know... I feel like Ronald Acuna Jr. I'm going to get a lot of fastballs to hit because the guys on the on-deck circle are the people you're actually worried about. So this this will be the easiest part of your hour. You're going to have to actually work for the rest of it. (laughs) Hey, I want to start with this. You've completed your MLB Top 100 right now, and as everybody would guess, Mike Trout number one, Mookie Betts number two. But I want to move down to numbers four and five. I'm going to give you one left-handed hitter to put on your team. I'm taking Soto. Are you taking Soto or Freeman? uh, Soto, Soto, every day Soto. Uh, Juan Soto is going to be one of the greatest hitters we've ever seen in our lifetime. Freddie Freeman is on the Hall of Fame highway. I love Freddie Freeman. No one has a swing quite like Freddie Freeman. He's in a lineup that is stacked, and he's going to perform. But Juan Soto breathes different air. He is the most talented hitter in baseball, period. And, you know, look, because he plays left field and he can't do some of the things that Ronald Acuna Jr. or Fernando Tatis Jr. can do. Tatis, no one throws the ball harder. Uh, in terms of velocity as a position player, no one hits the ball harder in terms of exit velocity than Fernando Tatis Jr. Raul Acuna playing right field now is a better fit there. He's a 40-40 guy. Imagine Jose Canseco as a leadoff guy. That's what Raul Acuna Jr. is. These three players, while I say Soto is the best hitter, these three players are the future of the sport. They will battle for number one starting next year going forward. Um, the old guard, I hate saying that, but it's the truth, is Trout, Betts, Yelich, and Bellinger. That's, that's the old guard now. And the new guard, which has an average age of 22, is Soto, Tatis, and Acuna, and they're about to take the game over. Greg, speaking of Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres give him a 14-year, $340 million contract. Do you think it was smart of them to get this done now, or do you think they might have jumped the gun after only 143 games? No, they should have done it uh, in 2019 at the winter meetings. You can look this up. Uh, We did a clip uh, during our coverage of the winter meetings. I was on with Mark DeRosa, Mike Lowell, and Ron Darling. And we did a segment called uh, Lock lock Up That Star and Name Your Young Player and What Contract Would You Give This Young Player? And I think uh, Mike Lowell picked uh, P. Alonzo. Ron Darling picked Vladdy Guerrero. I don't know who... I picked Fernando Tatis Jr. And I, and I was the one with the gaudiest contract offer. I said, give him 13 years of $350 million, Get it done now. We're in San Diego. Just get it done now. And they all laughed at me. Ron Darling literally says, 
remind me to never hire you as my GM. <laughs> and I go, I don't understand. What am I missing? He's the best base runner. He's got a cannon for an arm. The guy hits the ball a mile. He, he's a freak of an athlete. I, what am I missing? He hasn't played. He has no dirt in his spikes. Come on, Am Singer. I'm like, what are we doing? I don't understand. I got, I got totally blistered for it. And now I, I was wrong. It was, it was 14 years, 340. Now, I hate the name drop. Harold walks in yesterday into my office as we're doing this early show and we're taping it. And he has Fernando Tatis Jr. on FaceTime. And he and I are, we have a great relationship. He points the phone at me and I go, I called it. And Fernando Tatis is laughing. He goes, you did, you did. And uh, it was a wonderful exchange. I, I, I told him, congratulations. This makes all the sense in the world. What it does is it puts a flag in the ground. That the Padres aren't going anywhere. And my goodness, how refreshing to see an organization that is not one of the five biggest cities in America go, no, this is the future. This is our star. Let's not nickel and dime our stars like the Cubs did to Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. Let's just invest around what we now believe, not just as the face of our franchise, but as one of the faces and maybe the face of baseball. Let's go back to the old, old guard. And number one at one point on that list was Albert Pujols. What do you, what do you think it's going to be like this season, his final year in, in uh, Los Angeles? Uh, it's a tough question, man, because you, you just always watch him in a different way. We watch other talent, Dan, when it comes to spring training. And it's, it's, it's literally based on this. When we get there early and you've been there, you're in the parking lot, you're in the media, you walk in, you have to check in, they check your bags and all this stuff. And then you go to the field and you're with your camera crew and you're waiting for these guys to come out. And as you know, it's early day in spring training. Some of these guys you get at 7 a.m. before they do their personal workouts. So we're staying there, we're waiting. And there's only one player that I actually watch and 90% of my assessment is how they walk out of the, uh, how they walk up the steps of the dugout. That is all I'm looking for, for Albert Pools. How does he walk? Because his legs have been such an issue. And I just don't see that turning around. Um, will he play first base? I think he's going to have to. So how will that affect his legs? You know, he's not getting any younger. The plantar fasciitis is something that can just be an ongoing issue. He said surgery to try to repair it. I just think this is a guy that if the Angels are lucky, we're talking 240 to 260 with 20 to 25 home runs and 80 RBS. That, that's if they're lucky and OPS that will not sniff 800. Unfortunately, that's how this contract has come to an end. He has not been close what he was when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals. Greg, when we look at the top 100 that you guys did, top 100 right now, you're looking at a lot of Mets on that list. Brandon Nimmo, 89, Dominic Smith, 67, Pete Alonzo, 66, McNeil, 35, Conforto, 34, Lindor, 15, DeGrom, 3, and that doesn't even include some pitchers that are, are very capable. How good do you think the Mets can be this year? A uh, couple things. Uh, our, our studios are based in Secaucus, New Jersey. <laughs> Good point. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. And our research staff uh, is, is very regional. While they all went to like Ivy League schools, they all wanted to move back home and, and live with mom and dad and work at MLB Network after they got their lofty degrees. And most of them are Mets, Red Sox, and Yankee fans. I argue with the list incessantly because of this fact. And I personally do not think Brandon Nimmo is a top 100 player. I personally do not think Dom Smith has done enough to show me he's a top 100 player. Well, he was a terrific offensive talent last year. 
late bloomer? How does he fit in left field long term? He's not playing first base. And do any of you in that studio, if you had to pick, would you take Brandon Nimmo, Dom Smith, or Yadier Molina, who did not make our list, for projecting for the 2021 season? So there are a lot of guys who are left on the cutting room floor that these Mets, and, and, and I love Jeff McNeil, but is he really a top 40 player? He was ranked in the 30s, like number 35, yeah. a, little, a little too aggressive for me. That said, this is a really good team. And I'm excited to see what happens with Francisco Lindor. I just hope the Mets don't met this thing up. What I mean by that is <laughs> lock this guy up with a contract. Do what the Dodgers did with Mookie Betts. Clearly that worked out. Sign him, get the contract extension done before opening day. And you saw what you got with Mookie Betts. You're going to get the same thing with Francisco Lindor, two premier talents, and he's going to love playing in New York City. So, I, I love what the Mets have done. It's aggressive. It's what any Met fan could have dreamed for to have an owner like this, to be this financially aggressive. But I just think they can still screw it up, which really bothers me. And I'm waiting to see how they navigate the waters until opening day. Greg, keep fighting the good fight against the East Coast bias. I appreciate that out of you. (laughs) (laughs) I I try. I do try. I wanted to circle back quickly to what you said about Fernando Tatis Jr. being perhaps the face of baseball, because I agree with you. He's on the cover of video games. He's in national commercials. He is the guy that people are paying attention to. And I have to think that that is a great thing for baseball, to have someone who's as electric as him be emerging as the face of baseball. When I think about when I was a kid, everybody wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. They wanted to wear their hat backwards. You need somebody with personality and swag to represent your sport. And when we talk about baseball and attracting that younger audience, it seems like Fernando Tatis Jr. is a great fit. Without a doubt. And not only that, you know, I love the comp to Ken Griffey Jr. There wouldn't be baseball in Seattle if Ken Griffey Jr. didn't arrive on the scene at the right time. That was how important he was. The future of baseball needs a, a physical specimen with this personality right now, like Fernando Tatis Jr., with this possible strike looming and these two sides not getting along, to have this guy be must-see TV out on the West Coast. So, yeah, you can watch your Cardinal game or if you're in the East Coast, watch your Phillies, your Red Sox, your Mets, and then all of a sudden flip it over, and we're going to be doing – we've already got a, a new rule. Every single Fernando Tatis at-bat is a live look-in, mm. locked-in. So our programming is is what it used to be for Mike Trout. We would never let uh, a night go by where we missed a Mike Trout at bat live. We're going to be doing the same thing for Fernando Tatis Jr. when he's playing past 9 or 10 p.m. Eastern. So this is how important he is to the sport. We need it. The other aspect to this is, you know, he's got the cross-cultural thing. And his dad, well-known, obviously in St. Louis, So while he speaks this perfect fluent Spanish, he grew up in American clubhouses and his English is flawless and he laughs like a kid. And, you know, he knows all the cool things and he loves fashion, dreadlocks that are blonde. You know, I I was telling Harold the other day, you know, I play video games sometimes with my 11 year old son and he likes to create players, you know, and when you can create these guys, you can make them look however you want to make them look. And you're like, he's got tattoos everywhere. They're ripped. They have no waist. They're like physically six foot five I'm, I'm, i'll be like london that's my son's name. there's no shortstop that's six five that looks like this that looks like a, a, a movie star this isn't real what are you doing that's what fernando tatis is it's like it's like his parents got together and created like an avatar <laughs> baseball player it's he's, he's like not real he looks like a movie star he acts like one this is a huge 
huge lottery ticket that Major League Baseball won, uh, specifically the Padres, and they need to continue to push him to the forefront because he's what you want in the game. It's great for baseball. It's great for that town, too, for San Diego to say we're keeping one of our own. And then I look at Lindor going from Cleveland. I look at what the Pirates are doing, flipping players over nonstop. That part of it bothers me. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but that it, if you're a fan of those home cities, man, you get, you got to keep these players, and it's not being done without a cap. It's not being done league-wide, and that's that's my concern with some of this stuff. Yeah, and listen, um, yeah, I work for MLB Network. 30 teams have a piece of the pie. So as I say that, that you, you know that of where I'm coming from. So the way I look at it is the San Diego Padres have no market justification to do what they've been doing. You can't look at the city of San Diego, the revenue that they make, and go, okay, this makes sense. This is a safe play to spend $300 million on Manny Machado, spend $340 million. That's $640 million on two guys on, in the left side of your infield. Let's go get Blake Snell. That's going to cost a lot of money. You Darvish is loads of money. Let's go get it. You can't justify it. You can't justify it. Literally what, what Cohen has done uh, with the New York Mets in comparison to how much revenue they bring in compared to the New York Yankees. But when you have ownership that actually looks at this as such an honor to own a team instead of a detriment, <laughs> then, then this is what you get. There are owners that complain about owning a baseball team like there's no one else out there that would do it. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's got to end. we got to push the owners out that I feel like they need to go have tea with Mother Teresa because their their lives are so hard, the hardship of owning a baseball team. Done. I don't feel bad for you anymore. Sell it. Put it up for sale right now. You'll make a killing. People overpay for this this real estate. So I'm with you on that, man. At, At some point in time, people are becoming savvier and savvier and savvier on all kinds of business aspects in all kinds of industries. And especially baseball fans who are analytical by nature. Now they're realizing that this isn't a a baseball problem. This is a specific human that owns a baseball team problem. And if we have a problem with that human, then maybe we need to find someone else to own that baseball team. Greg Amsinger, you're the best. Have a great weekend. Thanks for your time. And we will talk to you soon. And we'll be watching you on MLB network. All right, you guys are the best. Take care. See you, brother. Take care. That is Greg Amsinger, MLB Network. Next up, Joe Vitale, Blues Analyst, with his weekly visit on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Blues Analyst Joe Vitale does join us, as he does every Friday on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Uh, Dan, Michelle, I'm doing really good today, guys. Thanks so much for, uh, for everything, and uh, it's great talking to you this morning. Okay, we got to start with this. When you built the rink, did you anticipate that it was going to stay this cold this long? <laughs> Uh, I didn't. I, I was expecting three days that when I made the decision to do it, and I said three days it looks like in the forecast we should be good because after those three days it looked like it went back up to the 30s and 40s. Of course, that changed, but I talked to my neighbor, Randy, that said even if you get it for a day, it's totally worth it, and he was absolutely right. That first night was a magical fun experience of uh, buddies of my kids coming over, having a great game and a lot of fun. We had a bonfire, so I, I was done. I was capped off right there at that point and uh, everything else from there was kind of a bonus you know it's like uh, it's like the, 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 uh, the hadamic treadmill you know is, is, is real 
right? Where you have this thing and, and it's a wonderful thing. And then, and then that wonderful thing kind of just becomes a standard thing, of course, because the first night I'm looking at my driveway the dri- where I used to park my cars and play basketball and there's this ice rink. And there's always kids skating around on my driveway. I'm like, this is the most magical thing in the world. And then three days later, I find myself out there thinking like, oh, the kids are back. They're skating out there. I'm like, why, why, why are we like that? Why can't we appreciate things at the same level no matter what? It was the time I went uh, to the Wilderness Lodge in Walt Disney World at the Animal Kingdom. I stayed out in the safari in, in, in Walt Disney World. And we got to the room, and I opened my big window, and there's a big giraffe eating from, like, a grape tree. And I'm like, honey, you got to check this out. There's a giraffe outside our window. And she comes and looks, and we're all just enamored by this big giraffe. And then by the fourth day, I'm, like, eating cereal in the morning. I'm like, hey, honey, uh, the giraffe's back. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's with us? Did you say a grape tree? Uh, it was, like, one of those uh, leafy grape trees or something. Yeah, it's kind of, well, they look more like a fig. But uh, the guy at the front desk had a grape tree. But I, I thought grapes were vines, so I have yeah. no idea what's going on. You know what, Joy? As you're describing this, it sounds to me like you're describing a sports fan because it doesn't really matter how much we love a player or how, the confidence that we have in a team. After time, if we're not winning championships year after year, we get bored with it. We get a little frustrated. Isn't that the truth? I mean, think about some of the breakdowns. I think like I have to keep myself in check because sometimes the breakdowns we have after those Arizona games – or maybe a, a flub of a game for the St. Louis Blues. But if you just take a step back, you're absolutely right. Like, here we are at top of division. Again, and all, all we can really kind of do is nitpick. Maybe the power play could be a little better. Oh, the PK percentage has got to get a bit up. You know, Braden Shen was quiet for four or five days. And we kind of want to get into the, uh, the nitty-gritty and the miseries of maybe some of the things that could always improve. But at the end of the day, guys, we got a great franchise here in St. Louis. And I know it's not perfect, but we still got a pretty good hockey team here. Absolutely. And I think last night we learned a little bit about this team to be able to battle back in the way they did. That's something they've been doing a lot this season, battling back to get wins, especially when a lot of guys are injured. I think it says a lot about this team's tenacity, their mental makeup and their depth. Mental makeup. That's what I said in the post game last night was that the characteristic of this team that continues to impress me uh, throughout the years since Craig Berube has taken over back in 19 has been their ability to never, ever be out of a fight. You know what I mean? That, that is something that, that is really trended with this team very favorably. I mean, games where they're down by three goals and they come back and get really close to tying it at the end, or they're down by the two-goal deficit and they come back and win those games. Last night's game was a perfect example of that. You know, you have a great first period, maybe the best first period of the season, I thought, but you only have that one nothing lead. Martin Jones stands on his head, makes some great saves. Okay, the San Jose Sharks, they push back in the second, get a very fortunate couple bounce, bounces, and they get ahead in that game, two to one. Game's starting to get away from a little bit. Third period, very vanilla. Kind of reminds that Arizona game a little bit. Not a lot of there offensively. Five on five has been very tight. San Jose did a really good job collapsing and keeping everything to the outside and allowing Martin Jones to see everything. And you kind of felt like the most teams in the National Hockey League at that point, they kind of were just drifted away and thought, you know what, maybe it's just not our night. But this Blues team, they just stick with the fight. They keep coming. They keep coming. They keep coming. And I'm up there calling these games, and I'm always thinking, they're going to score here. They're going to come back. Something good is about to happen. And you look at that game specifically last night, the detail that really turned the game for me was that they knew Martin Jones had poppy pads. He has a rebound control that is just not very solid in the National Hockey League. So with all those pucks going around his net, the rebound goal by Mike Hoffman to start things off, that's what they wanted to do more. They were getting pucks there, but it seemed like the bounce just wasn't right. The second guy, the rebound guy, was on top of the crease, but then the pucks would go high. And then the guy would be high later in the game, and then the rebounds would be right in the crease. It just seemed like they weren't in the right spot. It just hadn't clicked yet. 
And then on that six on five, the luxury of having that extra man, you can have a guy in the high slot. You can have a guy right on the crease for those rebounds. And of course, Braden Shen ties it with under a minute to go. And then the rest is history. Hey, Joey, um, I've been harping on this this morning. I, I think the next eight games are, are maybe the most important of the season. I, that might be a stretch, but you've got the Sharks, the Ducks, the Kings. You're talking about some of the lesser teams in your division. This is an important stretch of hockey, and it began last night. Extremely important, Dan, because you look at the next nine games, they're all against California teams. And then let's fast forward. The next 11 out of 13 are all California yep. teams. All teams are the playoff pitcher. Now let's flip that, okay? So when did the okay? If, if they're all California teams in the next few weeks, when the heck are we playing Colorado and Vegas? Well, that's coming at the end of the year. The final thirty games, thirteen of those thirty are against Vegas or Colorado. So those are going to be some heavy, heavy, deep matchups come the very final couple weeks of the season. If you're a St. Louis Blues player, if you're this coach, you want to enter those thirty games, those final thirty, with a about a seven, eight, nine point cushion to some degree. If you could be top of the division, that'd be a luxury, but you definitely want to be in a spot where you are about eight to nine to 10 points in a comfortable lead cushion so you can secure a playoff berth. So to me, when do you make that happen? You have to make that right now. You have to make that, hey, right now you're playing teams that are not very good. They're not very deep. Their special teams have been struggling, and this is the opportunity for the St. Louis Blues over the next two weeks, although it's a lot of hockey, a lot on the road coming up, it is a time the Blues really can take advantage, start collecting those points like, like the old fat squirrel is going to do right around the fall time, collect all those nuts and put them on his tree. That way he can stay nice and healthy through the winter. Hey, Joey, one of the things that we try to do here as fans with access is try to answer the question, why? Why, why did the Blues win? And, man, I look at those two plays that Tory Krug made on the tying goal, uh, the pass to Perron, and then on the, the winning goal, the pass to Perron, and I thought Tory Krug offensively last night, especially with the man advantage, those two passes were why the Blues won the game. Tory Krug's ability to see the ice and make a play without looking at the player is one of the greatest things that he brings to this game. I would say him and Keith Yandel are the two defensemen that do this better than anyone. Um, deception and misdirection is something that really throws your opponent off because we, we constantly are looking at eye contact, right? Uh, in football, in football they, they, they teach you to, to keep an eye on the hips. So if you're a tackler, uh, I was a middle linebacker in, in high school, so our, our coach, Bob Shannon, you, Dan, you had, Randy, you had to remember Bob Shannon. Remember old Bob Shannon? I love East Bob St. Shannon. Louis. Yeah. I think East yeah. St. Louis, Bob Shannon. But he, he developed some guys, too. At, at CBC, man, he, I, I remember one time he was playing in a semifinal, and he said, you got to remember that my two guys, my starting quarterback and my starting running back, they never played a down of football before they were freshmen. Yep. He, so he, you're talking about teaching guys how to play. He did it. Brian Cox uh, with the, the, yep. the Patriots was linebacker. He coached there in East St. Louis. We had him at CBC. I tell you what, <laughs> going from East St. Louis to CBC, that was a bit of a culture shock for Bob. He he was he was dealing with a different breed of athlete, if you know what I'm trying to and say. And a different breed um, of parent. <laughs> yeah, and a different breed of parents and a different breed of alumni. And he didn't. <laughs> we had a weight training class, a scheduled class during the day. It was in my in my syllabus. It was weight training. And we spent the whole class looking at tape and just blowing up the squat rack. I would literally do a, a set of squats, and then he'd come over and he'd show me some tape. And then I'd do some more squats, and then we'd see some more tape. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the point here, Bob Shannon would always teach you, you've got to watch the hips, right? Watch the hips. Don't watch the eyes, right? Because the eyes are deceptive. 
right? If, if you get fixed on the eyes for a running back, he may look one way, but then his hips will go a different way, and then you can lose them in a hurry. So you've got to keep on the hips. A running back without a, with a ball, he cannot go anywhere without his hips. The hips don't lie. Is, Shakir, is it Shakir who said that? Yes, yep. it was. Said, well done. Yeah. Yes. So, so there you go. So the hips don't lie. So always keep an eye on the hips. And it's no different in hockey. So a lot of players, they get fixated on the eyes when really, in, in theory, the puck is the most important. So what Tory Crew can do very well is he can look one way and he has incredible peripheral vision where he can see something and he can actually throw it to the area he's not looking. So a defenseman there at the end of that game, in that overtime, right, he's looking one way, he's looking to his right, and then he sees David Prawn kind of sneaking into the left. So as he's looking right, he's throwing left. And when you're looking to the right, all everyone's sticks are to the right. So lanes open up if you have eye and misdirection. And Tory Krug, along with Keith Yandel, I think, are the two best defensemen in the league with it. And you can see how that little, that little edge, that little advantage can win you hockey games. Joey, that was a perfect Bob Shannon imitation. As we say goodbye, could you please, in your best Bob Shannon voice, say the fight is next on 101 ESPN? I, I have one more question, though, too. <laughs> but go ahead, Joey. Well, I, I would say something like this. You know, Vitaly, Vitaly, the fight is me. telling you one thing. You're too soft. I coach Brian Cox and Brian Cox. He was soft. You're playing soft, Vitaly. Let me ask you this, Joey. This is very quick. And I know we have to go to the fight, okay? Uh, are you a reader? Are, are, are You're a well-versed guy. Do you read? I, I read, and I watch a little bit of the, the Discovery Channel. And I read, I read a lot of kids' books. I think there's a lot of good okay. kids' books. Well, this isn't really a kid's book for your age group of kids, but The Right Kind of Heroes. Well, written... I read it in high school by, by Bobby, yeah. Yep, Bob Shannon, Kevin yeah. Horgan, and, and that was uh, on Bob and the East St. Louis Flyers. Read that book. If, if people are out there, you should get it. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you might it, find it, it interesting. One, it, it is one of the best books. I read it in high school when I found out that our, our high school coach came from East St. Louis. My dad got me a copy of it. It is a tremendous read, and, and especially if you're from St. Louis, there's a lot of re- really good uh, connections to St. Louis. Yep. But Bob was a Bob was a very tough. He was a tough human being, but he was really really fair, and he was very honest with people. And I don't think a lot of kids liked the honesty because a lot of kids these days, as we know, they get kind of fluffed up by their parents. Their parents tell them how good they are and how they deserve it, and they're special. Bob came in there, and he pretty much told you kids, all of us. He looked us in the eye, and he pretty much said, "You're not special, and you're not different." You're exactly the way he is, he is, he is, and he is. And if you want something, if you want something in this life, you're going to go out, go out there and you have to work for it, and you're going to have to earn it. And a lot of people don't like that, but I really like that out of Bob. I took a lot of great lessons that he, he tried to get through to us in the football field, and a lot of that was obviously translated on the ice for me. So Bob did wonderful things for me. He was hard on me. He was hard on a lot of players, but he was an honest guy. He was a fair guy, and I, I truly believe one of the greatest coaches in St. Louis has had to offer. No doubt. Joey V will be tuned in tomorrow. Thanks for taking the time with us today. You guys have a great one. Have a great weekend. Stay warm. You too. Joe Vitale, Blues Analyst on 101 ESPN. The fight coming your way next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman with Dan McLaughlin here on this Friday. 
It is 8.36. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it is now time for the fight. Randy's challenger this morning, on this Friday, is Paul. Good morning, Paul. How's your morning been? Uh, good, thanks. Awesome. You ready to take on Randy in the fight? Uh, sure. All right, cool. Question number one. <laughs> Carson Wentz was traded to the Indianapolis Colts yesterday. Where did he play his college football? Was it North Dakota, North Dakota State, or South Dakota State? South Dakota State. Who was the last pitcher to record a win in the World Series for the Cardinals? Trevor Rosenthal, Adam Wainwright, Michael Walker. Michael Walker. All right, Paul, question number three. What team did the Cardinals wake up from their impossible dream by winning 7-2 in Game 7 of the 1967 World Series? Was it the Detroit Tigers, the New York Yankees, or the Boston Red Sox? Detroit Tigers. And question number four, which MLB team signed Fernando Tatis Jr. as an international free agent from the Dominican Prospect League in 2015? The White Sox, Diamondbacks, or Padres? Can you repeat that question again, please? Which MLB team signed Fernando Tatis Jr. as an international free agent from the Dominican Prospect League back in 2015? Was it the White Sox, the Diamondbacks, or the Padres? Uh, I would hope it was the Padres. Okay. I guess. Paul, do you have people in the background trying to help you out? No, no, no. I'm hearing a lot of activity back there. Yeah, we're hearing some people, Paul. Yeah. I'm working. They're just talking. Okay. What do you do for a living, Paul? Uh, I deliver liquor. Okay. Well, Randy's gonna, and Michelle are going to hope you win. Uh, go ahead, Randall. Randy, please say good morning to Paul. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Great. Thanks. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. I try all the time. All right, all right Randy. Question number one. Carson Wentz was traded to the Indianapolis Colts yesterday. Where did he play his college football? Uh, North Dakota State. Who was the last pitcher to record a win in the World Series for the Cardinals? That would have been 2013. It would have been the person that won the one game that they won in 2013 against the Red Sox. Um, I'm going to do, I think I know who it is, but I'll do the lifeline. Trevor Rosenthal, Adam Wainwright, Michael Walker. Okay. I, w- I was going to go Walker, so I will. Randy, what team did the Cardinals wake up from their impossible dream by winning 7-2 to in Game 7 of the 1967 World Series? That would have been uh, the Boston Red Sox. Which Major League team signed Fernando Tatis Jr. as an international free agent from the Dominican Prospect League back in 2015? That would have been the Chicago White Sox. All right. Emily, ring the bell. We've got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Danny Mac again throwing his pen in frustration. Very frustrated. Because Very Randy, Randy Carricker takes home another W. Sorry, Paul. Randy beats you three to nothing. Three to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's all good. <laughs> Let's run through our answers here. Carson Wentz was traded to the Colts, and he played his college football at North Dakota State. Who was the last pitcher to record a win for uh, in the World Series for the Cardinals? Both were 
uh, incorrect on this one. It was reliever Trevor Rosenthal who just signed for one year, $11 million to close games out for Oakland yesterday. It was the Boston Red Sox. They were the team that the Cardinals woke up from their impossible dream by winning 7-2 to in Game 7 of the 1967 World Series. And what the hell were the White Sox doing? James Shields for Fernando Tatis Jr.? The White Sox were the team that initially uh, drafted him Unreal. back in 2015. Yeah, and then it was a trade for James Shields. All right. Paul, thanks so much for playing. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Paul. John Mozalek, Cardinals Pobo. Pobo Mo, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The president of baseball operations and general manager of your St. Louis Cardinals is John Mozalek, a.k.a. Pobo Mo. And he is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker. And Mo, thank you very much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. We know that you've got a Zoom with the rest of the media in just a few minutes. So uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us this morning. Good morning. Uh, you guys are hard to hear, just FYI. Okay. We'll see if we can fix yeah, that. much better. That, that you fixed it. There we so. go. So, Good. Well do, done. Are you okay with us with shortening up your your title and name to Pobomo? Is that is that cool? I don't even know what that means. President <laughs> of Baseball Operations, President of Baseball Operations Pobo, and then your name. Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, look, as long as you guys still remember me, that's cool. We'll never forget you, Mo. (laughs) Absolutely not. Well, Mo, we know that everyone in St. Louis was so excited about the acquisition of Nolan Arenado, and we knew that you were really pumped to not only acquiring a player of that caliber, but someone that the club had coveted for a long time. But we really loved the press release when you wrote, today we got better, exclamation point. We knew that if an exclamation point was used in the press release that the team was really pumped. So can you tell us how you might have celebrated finally getting Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals? You know, I really haven't celebrated at the moment. Um, there, there's just so much going on. And, and I think as, as everybody understands with working under a pandemic and, and trying to get a camp open, it just we just haven't sort of had that moment of just like sit back and, and reflect on really kind of a flurry of, of transactions over the last month. But, you know, the good thing is, and for everybody that's gotten to be a part of spring training, at some point we, we will have that, that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, I think like, like anytime you do like a, a big deal or you have like, um, you know, success, it, th- these moments can be very fleeting in time and you're, you're sort of like it happens and then you're on to sort of the next thing. But I don't want to take anything away from from the acquisition of of acquiring someone like Nolan and what he means to this this franchise and to this team. So, you know, at some point um, when things slow down, I'll definitely uh, probably have a drink and uh, smile a little bit. Hey, Mo, with everybody uh, coming back to camp, how much does it help that what you went through last year? Unfortunately, you had to go through it, but dealing with the protocols, those kind of things, and having an understanding of what you have to deal with going forward this season. You know, I think anytime you have experience that that helps you, especially as you're you're, you're trying to adapt to a new normal. Um, obviously, you know, you, you think back to spring training here in in March, February, March of last year, everything was quite normal. We kept reading about this potential pandemic, but I don't think any of, of us envisioned, you know, one day we were just going to literally close this place up and and then we'd ha- go dormant for four or five months. So. 
I think everybody understands sort of the the importance of of you know social distancing, wearing masks, and and hygiene. But you know, I'm still walking around being a reminder to people um, from time to time. And you know, I but I do think Danny that we did benefit from what we experienced last year, and I think all of baseball did as well. When this franchise has been at its best under your leadership, and when we look at baseball now, you need to collect impact hitters. You get one in Arenado, you have one in Goldie. We've seen a guy like Paul DeYoung have 62 extra base hits in a season. That brings me to Dylan Carlson. Is it reasonable for us as fans to expect Dylan Carlson to be an impact offensive player in 2021? You know, I certainly hope so. Um you know, when I think about our club and, and, you know, the one thing I, I love about Dylan's approach is, you know, he has the ability to hit the ball to all fields. And I think in a, when you look at baseball in its current state, you have a lot of sort of all or nothing approach where I, I do think Dylan is, is almost a player that, that you, you kind of look back to maybe a generation ago where, he, he just understands how to hit in terms of, of being able to spray the ball, but still has the ability to, to um, hit the ball out of the ballpark. So, you know, I think when you look at the type of impact he could have on our lineup, I, I just think he's one of those types of hitters that, you know, keeps the, keeps the lineup turning over. And, you know, I, I think that could be a, a big help to us, but, you know, overall, I'm pretty excited about, our lineup in general, I, I think there's a, a lot of players that you're going to see things that maybe you didn't see in the 58 game season you saw last year. So again, you know, part of what we were trying to accomplish this off season was making sure we gave some of these young outfielders some opportunities. And, um, you know, obviously if we play 162 games, we should be able to achieve that. Is there one player that you're really excited to see as spring training opens up? Oh boy. Um, with regards to who may help our club or just in general in this camp? Yeah, just in general. I mean, we mentioned Dylan Carlson. I know a lot of fans can't wait to see what he can do. I know I was really pumped to see the the photos and the videos of Jordan Hicks getting back in action. There's a lot of exciting players, whether they're new players, young players, veteran players. So I'm just curious if there's anyone that you can't wait to see. I mean, the one guy that I, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about, but I haven't seen much of is Herrera. So um, just wanting to, to see how he handles himself in this type of camp, in this type of setting, when he's starting to realize that, you know, he's not far away from making a major league debut. So I'm um, very curious to see how he handles himself. Um, you know, so when I walk around, he is definitely someone that, that catches my eye. And I also think, um, when you look at Zach Thompson and Limitor, just to see where they are. Um, as you can tell with the way I speak, it's you know very much about the pipeline and um, always trying to make sure that we feel like we have that depth. Mo, I was doing some numbers here. I, I've got about 90 fewer innings in this camp as opposed to last year. Do you believe after what you had to go through last season with a lack of innings, generally speaking, across the board, and now 90 fewer in spring training that – a piggyback or more than a, a five-man rotation, even if you don't call it a six-man rotation, is going to be needed, especially early on? You know, I wouldn't argue that. Um, we've certainly been discussing that 
in this camp. We haven't made any like final decisions, but I think the one unique thing about like our current depth or our roster, you could argue we have nine or 10 guys who could start. And so when you take the five that you made that will win that role, there's still another five that we want to make sure get multiple innings in this camp. The biggest challenge this camp is really finding those innings because ultimately you got to stretch your starters. So I'm sort of spending most of my time trying to figure out a way to get B games. John Mozeliak, the Cardinals president of baseball operations with us on 101 ESPN. I shouldn't say GM, you're the Pobo. Gersh is is the GM. Uh, I want to uh, go back to Herrera because as we discussed you guys re-signing Yadier Molina, we wondered if there were discussions that you have during those negotiations about him mentoring young catchers. He's going to turn 39 this season. He's not going to last forever. So how much do you want young catchers, whether it's Kisner getting major league at-bats or Herrera this spring, how, do you, how much do you want Yachty to help those guys along? Well, the one thing is I don't have to go to Yachty and ask him to do that. That's just in his DNA. Um, he likes that role. Um, he understands what he's done in this game and what he's accomplished. And he's definitely one of those guys that likes to give back to younger players. So, you know, one of the things that when I think back of my time with the Cardinals and you look back at our better players or our best players, they always were investing in, in the younger player. Um, that that's just been, you know, a hallmark of, of what these guys are about. And, you know, an example would be like the Matt holidays of the world when he used to fly in prospects in the winter to help them understand like how he would do his off season to teach them. Matt Carpenter's done the same. Goldie's had interest in that. I've heard um, Arenado has that in him as well. So it's it's sort of a culture that you try to create. But, you know, we've been very fortunate that our best players want to help young players. You mentioned at the beginning of the offseason that you'd like to see Kisner get more at-bats. Is that a priority, though? Would you like to develop the young guy, the next guy at the major league level a little bit more? Well, of course. Um, you know, you're, you're always trying to balance – you know, taking advantage of of where Yachty is in his career, but you're also trying to make sure that you have something on the back end to help you out. So um, I, I, I look at it this year as, as you know, Kisner's going to have to play a little bit more. I mean, obviously last year was, was disappointing with the, with the amount of play he got. Um, but then again, a lot of players could argue that as well. So um, we'll, we'll move on from that, but hopefully that opportunity exists this year. Mo, we're kind of a vessel for the fans in a lot of ways. We see the tweets. We see the text machine. We have people that call into the station. So we get a pretty good gauge of what the fan base is feeling. And one of the things that we've been debating and talking about is the notion of success. Because it seems like a lot of fans get really impatient unless there's hardware. They don't judge success in the same way that the team might judge success. So I'm curious, how do you and how does the organization view success? Wow. Great question. Um, you know, I, I think I take a lot of pride in the fact that we've never had to do one of those like rebuilds where we just commit ourselves to losing for a couple of years and, you know, then hope that when you come out of that, you're, you're going to be able to pull off like what a Chicago or Houston did. Um, I judge success at, at putting a, a quality product out on that field, um, one that gives you a chance to win. I think historically we've done that. I mean, I don't disagree with, you know, ultimate success is judged by, 
you know, do you raise a trophy? Do you get a ring? And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be part of four World Series teams with the Cardinals. And so I understand what those goals look like. But I also think from a, from a fan base side, they should appreciate that we have been able to have perpetual winning. And um, that's not easy to do. And when you look at teams that have been able to accomplish that, I'd say we're probably one of five in the game of baseball that have achieved that. We've heard that Nolan Gorman is in camp. He's taking ground balls at second base. Would you envision him even looking at the outfield too? Would you try that? Or is he solely looking at second base in the, uh, this camp? I think right now they're going to try to keep him on the dirt. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if um, you know he, he gravitates out to the outfield as well, just on his own. But you know, early looks at him at second base have been pretty impressive, actually. So, um, you know, he's he's got a unique opportunity to work with Jose Okendo and Stubby Clap every day. And so right now, let's just let him take advantage of that. Hey, Mo, one more thing. We know that you have to get to a media Zoom with the rest of the media. But I, I want to go back to Michelle's question. You, you talk about the success that the organization has had. From your perch, are you able to enjoy the journey? Because that's what I look at. I, I don't look at success necessarily as lifting the trophy at the end of the year. If I think you can have a really good year but not lift the trophy. Are you able to enjoy those journeys? Well, yes and no, right? Like, like I deleted Twitter for a reason um, because it, it, it takes away a little bit of, of that enjoyment or, or it, there's just so much second guessing when you, when you have a job like I have and it can, it can almost tear you down more than when you get that one in 1000 tweet that says you actually do a good job. So for, for me, I think that like the, the thing that I take the most pride in is like, do people like to work here? Do people like to be a part of something? And as much as I, I know the fan base wants me to, to produce that winner and, and that, that type of product that, that they believe in and they want to invest in meaning buy tickets. I get that. But there's also a side of my job that, that is where the employees feel good about coming to work. They feel good about what they're doing and, you know, that's probably the thing I take the most pride in or, or the part that I smile the most about because this is a really good environment for, for this uh, organization and what we've created. And I think Mr. DeWitt and myself take a lot of pride in that. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We know you've got busy days, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. See Bye-bye. You take care. That is John Mosellock, the Cardinals Pobo on 101 ESPN. And Gersh is the GM. So I... See, we go Doug Armstrong, he's, who's Poho and GM, and Mo is just Pobo. That's right. So, got to get that straight. Pobo. Yeah. Pobo Mo. Yeah. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to look at the Blues Sharks and what the Blues can do tomorrow to finally beat San Jose in the back end of a series. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Your St. Louis Blues are back in action tomorrow night. Early start at Enterprise Center against San Jose. A 5 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock faceoff. After the Blues came away with a 3-2 overtime victory last night, David Perron scoring the winner. Mike Hoffman scored the Blues' first goal, and the Blues were very happy about the way things went last night. Yeah, obviously I don't think we're uh, we're too happy with, with the performance that we had tonight. Um, you know, obviously the two points is nice, but we know we got to be better, and... 
um, you know, we'll come back to work tomorrow and, and go from there. That's a good thing to have a win, but understand that you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve during the game. You didn't really, the Blues weren't able to generate an awful lot of chances against San Jose. And as we mentioned yesterday, guys, the Blues are missing four of their top nine forwards. So that's part of it. But the guys that are there, you still have to win the game. And the one thing that you can do is make an effort to get to the net and generate more offense. And the Blues, even though they had shots, didn't have an awful lot of great opportunities. And this is what we talked about with Joey Vitale earlier in the hour. This is a team that has a really good mental makeup. This is something that we're seeing as the season goes on. It doesn't matter who's injured and who's not on the ice. It doesn't matter if they are in a deficit and they need to fight back and win the game. It doesn't matter if they go to overtime, that they are always in the fight and they're never going to give up. And I love that even after you win the fight and you win the game, that the mentality is we weren't good enough. Even though we Mm -hmm. won the game, we're not good enough. That is the fabric that you need mentally for a championship team. And one of the things the Blues will need to do is work around to not having Colton Pareko, too. Yeah. yeah and, and Jordan Bennington spoke to the media last night about stepping up with Pareko out. Yeah, he's, he's a big, makes a big impact every single game. But, you know, for him, it's best uh, right now to rest up. And, you know, we're going to, like we've been doing all year long and um, over the past couple of years, guys step up and guys get opportunity. And you just got to do your part, do your job. And uh, I think we did a good we did a good job uh, filling that spot tonight and um, at least getting the win. It's a guy that ostensibly is your number one defenseman, even though Falk has played better. Pareko has not played great because he's been hurt. So it's important for the Blues to, A, get him ready to play at his best level and, B, still play at a high level with him not in there. Absolutely. And after we spoke to Jeremy Rutherford yesterday, who gave us what information he could give us about what might be ailing Colton Pareko. We don't have anything concrete yet, but he suggested that it might not be a quick fix, that this might not be something that is healed or remedied easily. So I I just hope that if the Blues are looking at the bigger picture here and they're looking down the road, that Colton Pareko gets enough time off to try to get right. Didn't you guys find it interesting with Joey when we brought up the schedule? I keep harping on it, but how I, I know this is middle of February, but it's such a condensed season. Um, how important these games are. Got to make I, some hay. The, you know, if you're looking at Colorado and the Knights coming up at the back end of the season, this is where you can get some points and get separation. Um, and I, and you're at home starting a four game homestand last night. Now is the time to do it. You know, and we talked about this earlier, but the next eight games, Sharks, Ducks, Kings, you should win those games. Not all of them, but I mean, I'm saying you got to, you got to make hay while the getting's good. And this is the time to, to pile in those points because it always happens in hockey, too. Those last, let's say, five to ten games, those are crazy games. Those are like playoff games. Uh-huh. So this is where you get those points and bank them right now. So what does Jordan Biddington think the Blues need to do moving forward? You know, we got to be every game any team can win. So we got to bring our game and, and prepare the same way and um, stay composed and just keep pushing together and, and come together as a group. And if you're going to win a bunch of one-goal games, which is what the Blues have been doing lately, it helps to have that guy on your side. (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Eight straight one-goal games, if you don't include the empty uh, empty netters that the Blues have played in right now. Wow. Eight straight. So that takes a a lot of mental fortitude, as uh, as Mike Shannon would call it, intestinal fortitude. 
but finding a way. And one thing that I, I said this during our show last year, Dan, when they were rolling, and M- Michelle and I both agree, and I think you'll agree, the Blues probably would have at least been in the finals again if we don't have the shutdown I would the agree. way that they were going because they have gotten good at winning. That's their personality. If you want to pick an identity for a team, they're good at winning. Yeah. Well, you know what helps you win? Seriously, I mean, they've got good players. Don't yeah. get me wrong. The roster is very good, even diminished with the guys that they have out, Tarasenko, Pareko, and others. But the guy between the pipes can win you games, and he's showing that he's going to bet on himself, which he's doing, Mm-hmm. And he's won a Stanley Cup. And now when you needed big saves last night, he, uh, what, was 30 of 32. Yeah. And he helped to win that game. Yeah. We we talked with John Mozeliak about the definition of success, and you asked him about jo- enjoying the journey. I hope that as fans, we're enjoying the journey with Jordan Bennington because how long have Blues fans waited for a goalie like Jordan Bennington? It feels like teams of the past that were so good and so close to getting to the finals and winning the Cup never really had that nope. goalie that you could rely on, that you knew was going to be a brick wall for you most nights. So I hope that we as a collective are appreciating Jordan Bennington while we have him. I just think it's a difference. I mean, Hoffman has played better. I think if you look, I, I talked about on a blue note with Alex yesterday, O'Reilly is like plus, I think, nine or ten, if not even more, through this time through the season. He was plus one last year. I mean, he's been good. I mean, you have guys that are in front of him that are very good players. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't have a goaltender that can back you up and steal you a game or two, it ain't going to work. And this guy is stealing you some games. Yeah. And when you look at where the Blues are now, that they have to rely on him. But I always go back, Dan, to the 06 Cardinals and how many players t- talked about how they looked at the lineup card before that game won against San right. Diego and they said, oh, yeah, we We're got our back. We're pretty good. Right. <laughs> and that's, I hope, what the Blues are going to wind up with when you get back number 91 and you get back number 18 and you get back number 55 and you get back uh, well, Schwartz. Pareko, Thomas, yeah. Bozak. Tarasenko Schwartz. Yeah. It's a lot of names. Yeah. So you get get those guys back, then all of a sudden you look at the lineup and you say, wow, that's pretty good. And not only that, but you are developing the depth that's necessary to win a Stanley Cup. The guys, because you'll have to use everybody, and you're playing guys like Mikul is getting opportunities now that he wouldn't have ordinarily gotten. A guy like Austin Pagansky, we're going to see more of him. The, The young forwards that are getting top six minutes that ordinarily wouldn't those guys will be prepared for playoff time that's what it's all about yeah it is start you gotta hey it's all about game number 83 eh well in this case it's game game number 57 yeah yeah there you go yeah Yeah. (laughs) 57 adjust for covid time yeah yeah blues again tomorrow pregame is at five sharks blues and we'll have it for you on 101 espn looking forward to that that is today's big thing coming up we had a chance to visit with pobo mo and we'll get give you our reactions to what he had to say to us next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn We had the chance to visit with uh, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mozalock, a couple of minutes ago. And Michelle asked him about who he's excited about seeing. And one guy that he hasn't seen a lot of is the Cardinals really highly regarded young catcher. And that's who he's really looking at so far this spring is Ivan Herrera, who is one of the top catching prospects in all of baseball and is right there among the Cardinals top prospects. 
And I mean, the one guy that I, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about, but I haven't seen much of is Herrera. So just wanting to, to see how he handles himself in this type of camp, in this type of setting, when he's starting to realize that, you know, he's not far away from making a major league debut. So I'm um, very curious to see how he handles himself. Um, you know, so when I walk around, he is definitely someone that, that catches my eye. And I also think, um, when you look at Zach Thompson and Limitor, just to see where they are. Um, as you can tell with the way I speak, it's you know very much about the pipeline and um, always trying to make sure that we feel like we have that depth. What do you guys take away from the, the comment that Herrera is not far away from making his major league debut? Catches my attention. Um, I, I would think that if you look at it from his point of view, if you have Kisner, you got Yachty, let him develop at the minor leagues this year. So maybe one year, one year away. And depending on how things go this year, you never know if you have injuries, he mm-hmm. comes up. Yeah, if he's if he's playing minor league baseball, and I know that they changed the rules for September, but maybe that's a guy that if you go up to 28 players for September, you want a third catcher, maybe that winds up being a guy that you take a, take a look at. My understanding is that he defensively and I watched him in spring last year that he is ready to roll at this level. I mean he's if it's if he's not he's very very close. So now it's about developing him in the entirety of his game which means his offense too. 2 years ago at the Arizona Fall League he was one of the best offensive players small sample size but in that league and those are guys that are on the cusp of being major leaguers. So it tells you he's probably not that far away. And if he's a year away and you have this opportunity for him to be in camp with Yadier Molina and learn from him, I would imagine if I'm John Moselak, to me, that's a, a great thing to to have who I think might be the heir apparent, be spending time with one of the greatest. And by the way, he did say, Moselak said that the Cardinals definitely want to get more at-bats for Andrew Kisner this year, but you don't want to be the guy, he didn't say this, but we're saying this, you don't want to be the guy to tell Yadier Molina, yeah, we need to get more at-bats for Kisner. Well, that's where it's going to come from. You know, it's going to be at his expense. So... I was thinking, how many games is Yachty going to play this year? I, I'm going to say, if you have a full 162, uh, I'm looking at Yachty. I don't know. If I put the over-under at 120, what would you guys take? I would say that's a fair starting point. I'm taking the over. Yachty would want the I think over. the over, too. I think Yachty wants the over. If he's yeah. healthy, I think so. Now, if you run away with the division, and by all accounts, uh, you know, you're you're hoping to do that. Maybe you can bank some innings for Yachty at the end of the season to keep him as fresh as he wants to be and can be by by the time you get into the playoffs. If you get there, that's one way to maybe get Kisner some at-bats. But initially, I, I think you're going to see Yachty playing a ton. And one of the things that I wondered all offseason with the Cardinals in their discussions with Molina is, do you have to have the discussion with him about mentoring your young catchers? Well, the one thing is I don't have to go to Yachty and ask him to do that. That's just in his DNA. Um, He likes that role. Um, He understands what he's done in this game and what he's accomplished. And he's definitely one of those guys that likes to give back to younger players. So, you know, one of the things that when I think back of my time with the Cardinals and you look back at our better players or our best players, they always were investing in, in the younger player. Um, that That's just been, you know, a hallmark of, of what these guys are about. And, you know, an example would be like the Matt Holidays of the world when he used to fly in prospects in the winter 
to help them understand like how he would do his off season to teach them. Matt Carpenter's done the same. Goldie's had interest in that. I've heard um, Arenado has that in him as well. So it's it's sort of a culture that you try to create. But you know we've been very fortunate that our best players want to help young players. I would say too, it's incumbent on the young player more so than it is for Yadi to go seek him out and say, "Hey, here's what I'm doing. Watch what he does. Right. Be a sponge." Yeah, um, yeah. I remember when Albert was in St. Louis and you had Albert, Yachty, Carp in his prime, those guys literally would be showing up at like 5.30 to hit, to hit extra BP, to, to get to camp early for the day's work. And if you're a player and you're watching those guys get theirs money-wise and be elite players in the league, you sit there and you say, well, if they're doing that, why am I not doing that? So it's got to be mm-hmm. a two-way street here. Like, you know, Yachty's got to get ready for the season, too. He can't just be a, a, out there teaching all the time. And same thing for Arnado, same thing for Goldie. It's incumbent on a young player, and things have changed. We talked about how if you're a young player, you get hazed and all that. That stuff's not like that anymore. It's incumbent for a young player to go to these guys and say, you've seen me play. Can you help me? What do you do nutrition-wise? What mm-hmm. are you doing before a game? What do you do after a game? Those things, are that's on the player. You know, this is professional baseball, man. Cut the cord. Figure it out. It's the major <laughs> leagues. It is what it is. Yeah. You want to be that guy? Watch these guys. That's how they did it. One of the guys that the Cardinals will have an eye on this spring training, especially because his the guy he was going to play the position of was acquired during the offseason. Nolan Gorman has been taking ground balls at second, and Dan asked John Mozeliak about where Gorman's going to wind up. Does he have a chance to play a little bit of left field? I think right now they're going to try to keep him on the dirt. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, you know, he, he gravitates out to the outfield as well, just on his own. But, you know, early looks at him at second base have been pretty impressive, actually. So, um, you know, he's he's got a unique opportunity to work with Jose Okendo and Stubby Clap every day. And so right now, let's just let him take advantage of that. Now, if I'm the Cardinals and I'm looking at this at a big-picture point of view. Mike Moustakis is playing second base. If Mike Moustakis can play second base, others can fall in line with how they're doing this. Um, the other part of this, too, is with the shift, not that you can hide a guy at second base because you, you can't hide. I mean, the ball finds you. That's the mm-hmm. cliche, and it does. But he's a good enough athlete, and working with Okendo and working with Stubby Clap and working with Mike Schilt to probably make this transition – the other thing, too, is, you know, Brandon Moss moved to the outfield. You, you can find many cases of guys that move mm-hmm. to the outfield. And if you had to say, hey, uh, this goes for Carpenter playing left field, too, if you had to go that way. You got a guy in Bader that can go get it. Lane Thomas can go get it. Shade those guys a little bit to protect them, if need be. Um, and, I, and, and also the original point of, let's just say Tommy Edmond turns into the player that you hope he is. Well, where where does Nolan Gorman go? Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to play third. He's not going to play first. And if Tommy Edmond is the player that you hope he is and you have him under control, which is something to consider, so that's a long-term investment into him. So if Gorman is – and Gorman can flat-out hit, you want his bat in the lineup. This is about offense. This is about smacking the ball over the wall. Put him in left field. I, I, I think that's something that will happen this year where he plays probably primarily second in the minor leagues. But then – Get him some time in the outfield, too. It doesn't hurt. That's why you have the minor leagues, is to develop. And to me, that's the direction that you go with him. 
Do you think it's a DH? Yes. Eventually comes in, that that's maybe what they're looking at long term? Yes, I I think so. Um, And that's the other great point, Michelle, is that if they have the DH, and by all accounts from everybody I've talked to, I'm still not sold that there's not going to be a DH this year. Mm -hmm. But with the new CBA coming, it's it's going to be in that. They're going to make this uniform across the board. You have the universal DH, and all of a sudden you don't have to worry too much about Nolan Gorman playing second base. You look at a guy like Max Muncy who played six total games at second base in the minors, and he he plays 70 for a World Series team at second base. You can find – if you can hit – You'll yeah. play. I mean, they're going to find you a place to play. Right. You know, now there may be some ugly moments, maybe defensively, but they're going to find you a spot. Well, and the cool thing from the Cardinals' perspective is that there will be ugly moments, but because of the presence of, as Mo mentioned, Okendo and Clap, these guys are going to be better prepared than a lot of young players to switch positions. I don't think any organization has, over the course of history, had more success in switching guys than the Cardinals have. I talked to Nolan Gorman right around the uh, winter warm-up time, and I just we were talking about his time down in uh, satellite camp, and he was using virtual... Uh, goggles to hit and he said that was a huge thing for him he said that was massive it made a difference in his entire season and he said the other part that made a huge difference for him was he had one-on-one individual instruction every day now at third base Mm -hmm. granted every day with Jose Okendo Mm -hmm. now there's some things that you do defensively footwork and whatnot at various positions that change but the premise is he's working defensively with the guy that is considered in baseball, and it's not just a homer saying this, this is universally thought, he's the guru of, of infield defense and defense in general. So he had one-on-one instruction with that guy. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, it helps. And ultimately, as you said, the bat plays. They're going bat to plays, find man. a place for him to be, whether it's DH, second base, left field, whatever, right field. I always go back to this, guys. The Cardinals had a draft, I think it was 2004, 13 maybe, where they had three third basemen that they drafted in the first round. It was Carson Kelly, it was Stephen Piscotty, it was Patrick Wisdom, and none of them wound up playing third base. Right. Wisdom played a little bit, but mostly would go to a DH role if it came up. He'd yeah. play first base. Piscotty's in right field, and Carson Kelly was behind the plate. Right. So you can move guys around. You can move guys around. Yeah. That's right. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, guys, some news out of baseball that we haven't gotten to. JT Realmuto out with a broken thumb. He broke it on his throwing hand, expected to miss about a month. They say that he's going to be ready for opening day, but he is going to miss a chunk of spring training with the Phillies. I wonder I, what he did. Well, I, it was um, a guy. I can't remember his name. And apparently he has great movement. And that's where he he was catching him, I guess, is my understanding. I could be wrong about this. but um, And it, it deflected or whatever with great late movement and broke a bone. They, they, apparently he can swing a bat. What hurts him is throwing. Mm-hmm. That's the key. So they need the DH. I guess so. JT Romuto is a stud. Mm-hmm. He's the Absolute. best catcher in baseball right now. How could you dare say that in St. Louis, Randy? Sorry. You're not allowed to. You cannot say that. Yeah. Did you forget about number four? You just four? can't do that. Okay. When's the last time number four hit 30 home runs? Well, that's true. Yeah. And could run like the wind and, yeah. and has the best pop-up time in the league. But, um, okay. Because he watched Romuto. Yachty as a kid. Oh, there oh, you go. Okay. 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 That's All right. the, the connection we yep. needed. Good so, call. Real Muto, uh, I, 
I don't know where the Phillies are going here. I mean, they're paying Bryce Harper a ton. They're going to pay Real Muto a ton. Um, their lineup is okay. But how do you compete right now, currently constructed with the Atlanta Braves, who I think are the favorites, mm-hmm. and maybe by the end of the year, it's the Mets. Right. Because the Mets could do some things, too. They, they've got deep pockets, which everybody knows. And it looks like they're going to be aggressive. They're going to spend. I, I just don't really know what they're doing. I, I get it. If you're the Phillies, you got to bring back Real Muto. Yeah, and you, you got Harper. but Yeah, if you have Harper, you need to make sure the team around yeah. him can win. If you're going to write that check, you need to make sure you can win. It's 13 years and give him the best shot. And he's still in the prime of his career. The problem that they really face is that Dombrowski doesn't have prospects to trade. Right. So when he wants to go out and get that star that somebody else doesn't want and to pay a lot of money to, normally he's got some prospects to trade, like he did with the sale deal. He doesn't have that now. No, he doesn't. So if you look at the back end of their rotation, Matt Moore, who hasn't pitched in the majors in three or four years, uh, he was overseas, and Chase Anderson. Mm. The back end of their rotation leaves an awful lot to be desired. Their closer is Archie Bradley. Even if they do get some hits out of the middle of that lineup and some runs out of the middle of that lineup, I don't think they're going to be able to pitch well enough. And and compete 36 times against what is a very good Atlanta team, New York team. And then I think kind of lying in the weeds, the Washington Nationals. I agree. Very good rotation. Strasburg back. Scherzer. I mean... They're going to be good. Juan Soto, obviously, in the middle of their lineup. But mm-hmm. a good pitching can shut down a lineup. Yeah. And if they get hot with that pitching of the Nationals, watch out. So Philadelphia, without Real Muto, for at least for the first couple of weeks of the season, the regular season, they're going to have some problems. Yeah. Um, do you guys think, I know there, it's a long contract, but take it or leave it, the Phillies do not win a World Series during the length of the Bryce Harper deal. I'm going to leave it. I, I think they will. You think they get it done? I, I do. They. I love Dave Dombrowski. I think he's tremendous at what he does. And because of that and that factor, I think he can get this thing going right. And to the point we were making earlier, Michelle, and you're exactly right. You, you paid Bryce Harper all this money. Mm-hmm. It's a waste. You go for it. It's like watching Mike Trout right now. Yeah. Which is it, such a bummer. It is. It's a waste. It's it's being wasted. That great talent. And he's been in one playoff series and they were swept. And that's it. And you remember last offseason, right at the beginning of the offseason, when the Angels fired their GM and Dombrowski, everybody was saying it's Dombrowski's job. Right. It was a done deal. If you have a high-priced player that you want to get to the World Series or at least get him close to the World Series, you hire Dombrowski and you you be willing to spend stupid money. Spend money and give up prospects. Yeah. And just say, we, you are here to construct us a yep. winner and win now. Right. And he can do that. And we don't care about the future. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll worry about that then. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, guys, quarterback carousel. We know Carson Wentz now officially off the board, but I think a lot of people are wondering who's next, which quarterback is the next domino to fall. And a lot of people are wondering if it might be Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold might be the next one to go. Field Gates was on Get Up, and he says that he thinks it's going to be Sam Darnold, and he thinks he's going to the Bears. He says the Bears are actually the last team I filled. I gave them Sam Darnold. They need to make a quarterback move. Darnold needs a change of scenery in a major way. He's only 23. Perhaps Matt Nagy believes he can be the player many thought he would be when he came out of USC. I think if you read the tea leaves and and read what Kevin Colbert said about Big Ben, he said the exact same thing that Sean McVay said about Jared Goff. He's our quarterback right now. Right now. And I told Michelle this earlier, Dan, I think that Sam Darnold is a perfect fit in Pittsburgh. And I think they're well positioned to go out and get him 
to replace Ben Roethlisberger. Have we, you guys follow this religiously, Full disclosure, as may be shocking for many, I don't. However, I, I follow it from a uh, a fan point of view. And so I was thinking about this yesterday. Has Sam Darnold really gotten a fair shot? No, no. absolutely not. Honestly, I mean, he's terrible team, terrible coach, terrible GM, bad moves. Um, he was seeing ghosts. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. just don't know if he's been given a fair shot. So to the point of a change of scenery, I think that's valid. But is and you guys would know better than I. I mean, is he a good quarterback or not? I I don't know if you can make that evaluation. He's got the physical talent to do it, and we just don't know if he has. You can be a good athlete, but we don't know if he's a good quarterback yet. Yeah, and I, I always go back to what's in your front office, what is your coach, and have you been given a fair shot with them? And the yeah. the, the turmoil that is the Jets. That's oh, not yeah. fair to put a young guy under center and say go get him. That's just yeah. not fair. No, it's not. And that's uh, that's why I think he would be a good fit in Pittsburgh. And if if Pittsburgh, they aren't going to get a better quarterback with their number one this year. Now, when you see what Wentz went for, if you're the Steelers, you don't give up a number one for Sam Darnold. But, man, I, I can't imagine. I don't know what Chicago's going to do. But you gave up so much capital to get Trubisky. I don't know if you can do that again. I want Mitchell Trubisky to stay there, and I want him to win. I would love it. He would shove it towards everybody. Yeah. It would be great. And by the way, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. No. Maybe a guy who's uh, the last three letters of our na- his name spell ski, maybe that's a Pittsburgh guy. He'd fit right in. Pamani brothers would love him. Yep. Hey, we got it for ski. You ready? Yeah, they'd, it'd be perfect for him. You guys are looking at me with blank stare. No, you got to have I a Pamani bi- sandwich. 100%. I've never, I've never had yeah. it. What's on it? French oh. fries. You get Fr- French it's, fries it's just, on the sandwich? Yeah, it's just a greasy sandwich. You coleslaw. What's the, the meat, though? What's the base? Roast yeah, beef. Yeah, it's like roast beef. beef. Yeah. Oh, it's also known so as Spam. Delicious. That it's awesome. so good. At 3 a.m., it's just perfect. So I've been told. <laughs> so you've been told. So you've been told. I also think it's so interesting that you have Jared Goff, number one overall pick. You have Carson Wentz, number two. You have Sam Darnold, number three, from 2017 and yep. 2018. And now they're all undesirable. They were the guys that, that these teams felt so confident mm-hmm. in that they were going to draft them this high to help change their franchise. And now these teams are so ready to move on from them. I never liked Goff in the first place. That was a business move. That was a California kid yep. to put on a billboard yeah. to sell some tickets. Which, how yeah. did that work out for you? Yeah. Not great. Not, not great. great. No, not at all. But I wonder if maybe some of these teams start looking internally about their their uh, front office, about who they're bringing in. And maybe it's not these quarterbacks. Maybe, to your point, it's not Sam Darnold. It's the people that are running this well, thing. And maybe, maybe they need to, if they're going to get a quarterback in place, start building around him. And if I'm the Jets... I want to be convinced that I can't use Sam Darnold as a chip to get Watson before I do anything, because that would be the play. Is if you're Miami, Tua is going to be a chip to get Sam to get D- D- Watson. If you're the Jets, Darnold is probably going to have to be a chip that you use. And Deshaun Watson wants a coach that he admires, and from everything we're reading, Robert Sala is yep. that he he wants a change of scenery, and you know, I don't know if. He, he was in a pretty chaotic situation. I don't know if New York, if the Jets is going to provide him stability. Hopefully their head coach brings a new culture there. But it just seems like that might be an interesting fit for him. And he wants to go there. And he can elevate players. He's really good at making wide receivers and tight ends better than they really are. 
You're killing me, Smalls. Well, your guy, Ben Roethlisberger. Love him. He's a question mark, too. Want him back. He's a question mark, too. So their GM, Kevin Colbert, same thing. Can't play. Very, very Jared <laughs> Goff language that we're using here. They asked him about Big Ben's future with the Steelers, and he says, as we sit here today, Ben is a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he said, with Ben's current cap number, some adjustments will have to be made. So a lot of people are wondering if his time in Pittsburgh is up. And the lowest they can get his cap number is forty-one million, highest forty-one point two. Forty-one point two, correct. Yeah. And I believe yep. the lowest they can get it is down to twenty-seven, right? So aren't you just stuck with him? If he retires or he's cut, it would still count twenty-two point two five million 22. against the cap. Yeah. Bring him back. One more run with Big Ben, baby. Circle the wagons. Yeah, if you have to have the twenty-two million in debt, you can't money. take that. You can't take that hit. No way. But it's twenty-seven if you have him. Fine one more year and then be done are you let, let me ask you this if you go out and get a qb that you think is better than ben roethlisberger are you good enough to win next year i don't probably not but here's the thing connor is a free agent and right now you're more than 30 million dollars over the cap yeah connor's a free agent juju's a free agent bud dupree's a free agent Wave is a free agent they can't afford to bring anybody back either so i think even if you have big ben Unless you have the best draft, like if you have a 1971 Steelers draft, I don't think that you can plan on winning if you're the Steelers next year. I I think you're in reboot mode. By the way, if you aren't aware of the Steelers draft, I think it was, let me get it for you here. Wasn't 71. Was it 72? That's what I thought, yeah. Uh, But uh, I will have it for you momentarily because they had like five Hall of Famers out of one draft. It was awesome. Wow. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, Well, this is my daily plug of Randy's Instagram. We need to get Randy more Instagram followers than his dog, Darby Shaw. So, Randy, please tell everyone how they can follow you on Instagram. Uh, Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at RJ Carricker. And uh, things are going pretty well. You folks are helping me out. Uh, I still am behind... Uh, Golden Darby Shaw, which is kind of, I shouldn't even say her name. Yeah, let's just, just say your dog. <laughs> follow me at uh, RJ Carricker. I'm up to uh, 1909. All right. And uh, Golden Darby Shaw is, hold on, and she actually liked one of my Instagrams. She's at 2353. <laughs> right? You so, know, that's nice of her. It really is. So I'm, I am with, uh, I'm getting closer every day. I'm inching. This isn't an it, what do you a, get when you surpass your, your dog in, a, in bragging rights? Yeah, bragging rights. Becomes that's the alpha of the house yeah. again. Yeah, which is important. It's true. Does Doug the dog have an Instagram? He does not. Uh, he has enough love, in my opinion, in his life that he does not need an Instagram. I bet Doug would turn out some great content. Though. Oh, he'd be. <laughs> yes, he would. He was tearing things up yesterday. What it's, does he tear up? Uh, some of the furniture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we just kind of let it go. We're we're to the point, Michelle, that we have four kids. It's a gong show. We have three dogs, one of them three-legged. We start the music even louder yeah. when Doug the dog is talked about. And, um, you know, we just let Doug do his thing. We, we just kind of given up. Yeah, at this point, why, why try to keep it nice, have right? Have you seen how much hair comes in on me? <laughs> Every day, from he's Doug. Doug the dog. This is all Doug. Doug's oh work? yeah, yeah. He sleeps on me. We have to have uh, Doug and Darby do a play date so that they can wear each other out. That's I, I'm before that. Yeah, yeah. Be good. By the way, the 1974 Steelers draft: first round, Lynn Swan, Hall of Fame; second round, Jack Lambert, Hall of Fame. What Third, year was this? This was 1974. Okay. Uh, fourth round, John Stallworth, Hall of Fame; fifth round, Mike Webster, Hall of Fame. So four Hall of Famers from one draft. Wow. Not bad. Yeah. 
so pretty good. Well. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over as Dan will be with BK in the 10 o'clock hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Getting ready for the Dan McLaughlin Show featuring Brandon Kylie. That's coming up at the top of the hour from 10 to 11 here on 101 ESPN. How do you like doing the uh, the four-hour show? Is it I okay? love it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I love it. I got used to four-hour shows. Now I've gotten really used to three-hour shows, and I don't know if I could do a four-hour show anymore. You are more than welcome to stick around if you'd like. I don't Either think one I could do it today. Yeah, you got what? Wash your carpets, get a perm. What do you got? Get a perm. Good one. I have to go to the bank. I, there's something else I have to do too. I don't remember what it is. Is that right? So you can't do it. Not today. Okay. Anytime uh, next week, Dan. Anytime you, you want to step in and uh, be a part of the show, just like the text line, you yeah. can be a part of it. Do you think there's a chance that me and BK could wind up in fisticuffs, though? Yes, I do. Why is that? Yeah. Um, I, I look at both of them as highly skilled radio hosts with highly opinionated views of the sports world, well-educated on both sides, and there would be a throwdown of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you would have enough, he would have enough, and then I'd be in the middle of it. Would and you try okay. to break it up? No, 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 no sir. You just I would let take, it ride? I'd take a betting line on uh, <laughs> FanDuel. <laughs> I would, and I I'd have would. some prop bets. First, uh, first connected right hook, uh-huh. uh, belly shots, you know. First to throw a cell phone. Yeah. First to drop a swear word on the Absolutely. air. Yeah, things like that. Absolutely. And I'd, I'd bet I'd win a lot. Who do you guys think would be the FanDuel. first to swear? Uh, you. Wow. Well, I would say you, Randy, too, just because you rage blackout. I don't know yeah. I don't know if BK has a blackout, so you might not even realize you're swearing because oh, okay. you're blacked out. Well, why did you bring up would you and BK go after it? Because am I, did you agree with my assessment? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah. We kind of have differing opinions many times. What was the last differing opinion that you may have had? I don't even remember. But yeah. we've had a few. We've we have uh, text discussions while Is he's that on right? here. Yeah, we do. Okay. I love the guy because very passionate. And his opinions are well researched and well thought out and mm-hmm. they his opinions have good foundations. He's not he's not Mr. Okay, I'm saying this because it's going to elicit a reaction. There's actually some thought that goes into it, and that doesn't always happen in our business. Do you think they would go after it? Uh, I don't know. They do have a lot of mutual respect for one another, so I don't know if it would get to that point because they might look at each other and say, calm down. All right, come come on. Come on, man. 618 says my money would be on Randy. I I agree. I am more of a homer. I think if H-O-M-E-R, that... That would be the thing. I, uh, I'm i probably more inclined to give the home teams the benefit of the doubt than he is. I would agree with that. Um, he we're, He's going to be at the uh, uh, Centene today, so mm-hmm. he can't defend himself and come in here right now. So he's going to be on <laughs> Zoom shortly, and we probably should just bring him in and see what he thinks. But right. yeah. I don't know if he's ready to go, <clears throat> but we've got a big show coming up in about five or ten minutes. Are you uh, disappointed that the darkness of Twitter caused Mo to leave Twitter? It doesn't surprise me. It, I, he said I'm, one in a thousand tweets were positive. But if you're him, I'm surprised he would even be on there in the first place. I know. That I disagree. You, really? I, I know that he would want to see what people are saying. but not No, not for that. Okay. I think he would do it to check on his players. 
Oh, interesting. So I think not necessarily do you want to take in what the fan base is going in a dark place, which Mm -hmm. is Twitter. And believe me, they they want to hear the fans' input. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they don't want that. What I'm saying is, is Twitter is, I think we would agree with this, I don't want to speak for you, but generally speaking, is a dark place. It's yeah. negative. It's an easy place to go and just 100%. go off. Right. So you don't get a lot of, hey, great job. You're not seeing that. Right. But I do think, though, that many people in his position, not just Mo, but others, are on Twitter or Instagram specifically to make sure that their players are posting the proper things. I, I really smart. do. That and is smart. They have, if it's not him, it's there's somebody, somebody who's... Probably a huge part of their job is following the players on sure. social media. Well, every everybody has got, every team has got social media, and you've got social media coordinators, and part of their job would be to promote their product, and their product is the players. So they're right. following those guys and making sure that you would like to think that it's done in a positive way. I mean, I know the Cardinals in spring training normally, and I'll be curious what they're doing this year, but they have a class to talk about that. I mean, they're young players. They say, hey, here's what is expected of you. This is your job, and you represent, yes, yourself, your family, but you also, by extension, represent the brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we want you to get be branded yourself. We, we get that. No, no problems there. Just be smart about what you're putting out there for the general public. And I would say that not that 99% of the players are really good at it, but I would say 99% of the players do avoid being catastrophes like Blake Snell last year playing the uh, what's the his game that he was playing whatever it was but yeah Yeah. he's getting recorded and it can be out there I mean the other thing you're told too is that wherever you go when we get back to normalcy you're you're at a bar you're at a restaurant you're doing whatever you're everybody's got a cell phone to record you I mean just gotta be careful about what you do yeah but again though I I always go back to this too they are human beings too of course and there's gonna be mistakes it happens yep it happens. I remember uh, I, I was with Ozzy at, at a restaurant that Ozzy had in Clayton one time. And this was, boy, a long time ago. It must have been like 2004, 2005. And Michael Jordan walks in and the entire place just descends on him with camera phones. And this was before camera phones were a huge thing. And he's just got to block all the camera phones with his hands. Because you have to believe everywhere Michael Jordan goes that that's what happens. He's just swarmed like hornets by cameras. And you can't breathe, man. I mean, I remember when we were traveling with McGuire, we would have to, like, literally, guys, we we would show up at 2 o'clock in the morning, which happens all the time. You play a night game, you travel to the next city, you... Mm -hmm. And it takes a while to get going, load the buses and load the plane, all the equipment and, and luggage and whatnot. And you get in at three or four in the morning, two, three, four in the morning. And there's a throng of autograph seekers there waiting outside the hotel. Some of these people are grownups with their kids saying, oh, our kid wants the auto. Well, you know damn well that that autograph seeker is using the kid to get an autograph and they're going to sell it or whatever. But the the point is, they would have to take McGuire to the back. I mean, they'd have to seek him, sneak him through service entrances, elevators to get to his, you know, couldn't breathe, man. It was crazy. I heard a story one time that, and they set up the velvet rope so the Cardinals can get on the bus, right? If you can't get him out the back, you just... A lot of times, you the, yeah. You did the velvet rope with, with there. McGuire. That one time, a father had his son in a wheelchair 
and McGuire gives the kid the autograph. And then somebody, I think it was from the Cardinal Party, actually saw the kid get up from the wheelchair and walk wow. away. After he, yeah, Nothing surprises me. Yeah, it, It's incredible. And it's the same people, a lot of times you see every year, are the same people hanging yeah. out at the team hotel, wow. hanging out at the ballpark, just trying to get those autographs. That's the way it was with Hull. There was a guy that would show up at practice every single day with about about six sticks trying to get them autographed by Hull. And this guy wasn't using them all for his own edification. He was selling them. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of times, you you know, player signs, and and some players don't care. They're just like, whatever, I'm going to sign it. There you go. And But you see a lot of times where a player says, I just signed for you yesterday, or I signed for you last week, or the previous road trip in, that, that kind of stuff. It happens a lot. Yeah, no doubt. A lot. Uh, this has been a fun morning. It was productive. So who do we decide is the most fashionable? Mo, Jay Delsing, Greg Amzinger, or Joe Vitale? Who wins? I mean, no disrespect to any any of the other guys, but I don't think the other three have taken the risks and succeeded as much as John Mosellock. The scarves, the bow ties, mm-hmm. he goes for it. I'm saying Mo. And uh, I'm going to... Because of the bow tie. The, the bow tie is the bow tie is It's hard to pull off, and yes, he does it. He does. Here's the thing. I never see Joe Vitale where he isn't dressed to the nine. So, and obviously Greg, but I, I've seen Greg on a golf course. I've seen Greg not dressed to the nines. Joey Vitale, he can dress. So I'm going to go with Joey V. Okay. But he's on radio, though, so... Yeah, but that makes it even more impressive. Okay, I'm just saying, he's on radio. And, and you don't Mo, see what he's wearing. I want to take nothing away from Mo. We probably can't get at least those three, like Jay said, he'd bring up four. We probably can't get a group of three people who are more fashionable than those three that we had this morning. Mm-hmm. Cam Newton? Well, okay. But, but you have still, to have we, a very great appreciation yeah. for that style. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> if we get Cam on a Friday, and where we have Greg and Joey. Okay. So. We'll, okay. try. we'll effort right. him for next week. Yeah, yeah. be good. Yeah. Good. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. I'll come on with you. Right. He's got time. Yeah. I, yeah. He's going to have plenty of time, I, I got, think. I got nothing but time. Yeah. <laughs> and that may happen this year. <laughs> we'll be tuned in, Danny, for the next yeah. hour. Ted Simmons coming up, the hard, uh, Cardinals Hall of Famer and Major League Baseball Hall of Famers coming up. Emily Butcher doing a great job as our producer engineer. Thank you. Thank you. And to Michelle, another fun week. It was. Have a great weekend, guys. You too. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. And until Monday morning at 7, have a great week, Saint, weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects are injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection. The latest innovation from Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, 
from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And we'll do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection.